a golden god! An equal amount of blueberries in each muffin. To a new world of gods and monsters. <laughs> Who's weirder, you or me? You just put the law in my hands, and I'm gonna break your heart. Nobody puts baby in the Whatever you do, don't fall asleep. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to Movies for Life. I'm one of your co-hosts, Brian Kuyper. And I'm your other co-host, Michelle Agan. And today we are going on a crime spree. Hell yeah. Just the two of us. Like we're, we're partners, partners in, in crime. crime. That's right. That's yeah. the theme of our show this week. Uh, partners in crime. We've got a couple of terrific movies for you. I really like both of these movies a yeah. lot. I, I think I like um, the first one that we're covering more than I did the first time. And I liked it a lot the first time. I like, yeah, we say I'm here. Yeah. And I have, I loved it. And, um, the second movie, your choice, uh, means a lot to me in a lot of ways now that I'm thinking of it. And w- when we talk about that one, I'm, uh, we can talk a little bit about sort of our connections to it if we, like we normally do. But, um, so first up is going to be my choice, which is from 1950. Film noir, a mean little B movie film noir uh, called Gun Crazy. And then for me, uh, from 1975, we're doing another Sidney Lumet movie, Dog Day Afternoon. Sidney Lumet is our guy. He's our guy. And I gotta say, along with Wes Craven, uh, along with Wes Craven and Scorsese. Um, but I gotta say, you know, Sidney Lumet was just always such a solid filmmaker. Even the movies that don't land entirely have something to latch on to in them uh, and he hit more often than he missed i gotta say he's just one of those guys yeah this oh, one's a big hit for me no oh, definitely this uh this is up there in my top two or three favorites of his yeah of all time yeah so we're starting with gun crazy which was directed by joseph h lewis now um he doesn't have a lot of movies that he's well known for but one of them is a movie that uh, Michelle you recommended on when we were on cult movies, and that is Terror in a Texas Town. Oh, he did that. Yeah, <laughs> which I thought was pretty nice. cool. And that is unfortunately a movie I still haven't seen. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing that it's one. Um, some Sterling Hayden and some Harpoon stuff going on. He's not a bad actor. You guys are just mean. I'm not saying he's a bad <laughs> actor. I'm saying I don't know if he's a good actor. Okay. He's a presence. He's a strong presence. <laughs> that he is. Yes. I, I have always thought that. But anyway, a couple of interesting things about this movie before we get too far into it. This is credited to have been written by McKinley Cantor, who was a journalist back in the in the time. And uh, this is supposed to be based on his story from the Saturday Evening Post, I believe. 
and oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and Millard Kaufman, who was another uh, screenwriter. But I have a little bit of info that I learned that I dug up on this movie um, that I found fascinating. So Cantor was credited as right. I'm reading this from Wikipedia right now. Uh, but this is true. Uh, Cantor was credited as writing the screenplay for Gun Crazy, a.k.a. Deadly is the Female was an alternate <laughs> title I of this that. movie. <laughs> it was based on a short story by the same name, uh, published in 1940 in the Saturday Evening Post. Okay. However, uh-huh. in 1992, it was revealed that Dalton Trumbo wrote the screenplay to Gun Crazy. So he was one of the Hollywood 10 uh, who was blacklisted and uh, sent to prison uh, during the HUAC investigations of the 50s uh, and late 40s. And so I just find it um, interesting that also uh, Kaufman, the other screenwriter, lent his name to Dalton Trumbo for Gun Crazy as well. So they were a front for uh, for Trumbo, who actually wrote the screenplay. And actually, now I have my recommendation. There we go. Um, okay. so. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say, I know that name, I think. I've heard it before, Dalton Trumbo. Yeah, he I, is I don't know. probably most famous for uh, the, his screenplay that broke the br- blacklist, which was for Spartacus. Maybe that's and a, that's know. another recommendation there uh that i just there we go i i, I, I suddenly i suddenly it. just from our conversation went from having a sort of recommendation to having two um so there we go so that was just a little bit of of a tidbit i like that cool story though yeah that's a cool story it, it's cool that these people you know supported because these were established writers right who put their names on the screenplay but they would pass their money that they got paid over to Trumbo because they yep. they were like we're supporting this guy you know that we think he didn't do anything wrong and I think that is that's one of the the things about this I mean he um as Trumbo was essentially put in prison for refusing to name names right um so shame all right um, so this movie stars Peggy Cummins, who was also in one of my favorite horror films um, ever, Curse of the Demon, uh, directed by Jacques Tourneur, and John Dahl, who uh, we yeah. have talked about before. In Rope. In Rope, yes. Very different character from Rope. Yeah. I, I think the what he plays in Rope is sort of the confident, and you know he's sort of the idea man uh, behind it all. And in this, he's kind of... He's much more uncertain kind of character. Now, this movie to me would be a five-star masterpiece, except I think the the beginning, the beginning's just a little bit, it's a little, it's a little bit clunky uh, here at yeah. the beginning. Now, all of the stuff at the beginning, I think is important for Bart's character. Mm-hmm. Um, we find out, you know, because the first thing we see, I, I love the opening shot. I think, first of all, you know, just having it be the rain and, you know, the credits going over the top of it. And then the shot just continues with young Bart coming into frame and smashing the window and stealing the gun out of the window. I think that's fantastic. I love yeah. that opening. That's such a strong opening. But he gets arrested and taken to court. And then it has all these flashbacks, which are flashbacks. so strange. Now, his sister Ruby, we're introduced to, tells a story about how he had a BB gun when he was little, and he's always been fascinated with guns. And this one time, uh, he shot a baby chick with a BB gun, and 
he swore he would never kill another living thing ever again. Yeah. And so that's important. That's really important information for the story. But the way it's done, it's just like. <laughs> yeah. It's, <laughs> it's like it could have been told. Maybe a tell us, don't show us yeah. <laughs> in a way. I don't know if that, that was really needed. But yeah, it's very important to know that he's gun crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, the thing about not wanting to kill a living thing i mean it, they do the they say the same thing in the story that his friends tell mm-hmm. about seeing the mountain lion when they're out and he can't even kill a mountain lion right. and it's also important that they introduce the other boys there too yeah it is the same thing but it is important that those boys are introduced because these are like chums of his that they are important throughout his life and throughout this story too uh yeah. i think that is what's happening, but I'm almost like, okay, would this have been better? And this is a question I guess I'm posing to you. Would this have been better if they had just shown, because that opening shot is so strong. And then they had just said, even, even, you know, gone to, gone to, I don't know, something where they show him as a kid shooting this thing. And, and then, then just going to the second story without having this sort of, and you know, maybe the part with him showing the handgun at school, which I mean, bring a handgun to school. Uh, oh my God. And it's sort of like, <laughs> that was weird to watch. <laughs> they make it a big deal, but they don't make it as big of a deal as they would now. Yeah. You know? Um, <laughs> oh my God. So He's like, you can't have a handgun in school. Give that to me. And he's like, no. And instead of it being like a duck and cover drill, it's just, they're all just kind of (laughs) something that has changed. Very strange. Um, You know, another thing that I think it's hard to say, I don't know. I don't know what the best way to tell this opening is. It gets across the point that they want. And it's, it's short enough that once, Mm -hmm. you know, the real story starts, you're like, you know who the character is. And I think it's important to know who this character is, especially in contrast to the woman that he's going to be involved with yeah. later. <laughs> so, yeah, I think so too. It's not perfect, but it does its it, job. It, yeah, it's like it's ham handed, it's an exposition dump, but it's all right. That's yeah. my thing about it is it's all right, you know? <laughs> but when you compare it to pretty much from when it cuts to them as grown-ups to the end of the movie mm. is to me yeah. practically perfect. Yeah. You know, it's so it's like the only thing that makes me go, eh, it's four and a half. <laughs> you know? So picky. I'm so picky. I know. Oh my gosh. So anyway, um the but even at the beginning you can just see how dynamic this film looks. You know, there's this great shot of him uh, when he's aiming the gun at the mountain lion, that's just like a close-up. It almost looks like, I know it's not because they weren't using that at the time. It's almost like a split diopter thing where he's like really in the foreground and the and the other two boys are sitting in the background. And, and it's just this deep focus thing that is done so well in black and white. And it's just a dynamic looking shot. Yeah. And it's the kind of stuff that, I mean, it, this, is, this is a low budget B movie noir it's not one of the the prestige ones it's not double indemnity or one of those it's more like detour or sort of the down and dirty ones you know like those uh or the hitchhiker yet it has a lot of really impressive elements to Uh it i mean there's a very famous shot later on that's yeah very impressive the way it's done oh yeah i mean i there's the craft of this i think is as good as what you would see in any of those big studio auteur films like double indemnity you know totally yeah so i i just 
man, I'd really dig this movie. So, I yeah, I saw it for the first time a couple of years ago, and I was like, oh, because um, I blind bought it when mm-hmm. um, I think archive when archive was having a sale. Yeah. I was like, oh yeah, I've heard that recommended, and I loved it when I first saw it, but I hadn't watched it since then. Yeah. But watching it again for this, I was like, this movie's fucking awesome. (laughs) I love this movie. (laughs) There's so much more to it than I remembered. It's really a precursor to something like Bonnie and Clyde. Oh, totally. It's it's that good. But anyway, this whole thing, you know, the judge sentences him to go to a reform school. And the thing you like to do is become a dangerous mania with you. Um, So literally (laughs) gun crazy. It, and the thing is, it's never changed. I mean, they cut to him as a grown-up, and what's the first thing he's doing? He's shooting guns with the same friends he was shooting guns with well, before. He, yeah, you know. Well, he went from the reform school to the army, yeah. so where they were dealt with guns there. Yeah, where they were having him teach. Then, uh, they were having him teach um, people how to fire. <laughs> you know how to how to yeah. shoot. So <laughs> I, I really like that. Those little scenes, though, and then, you know, goes down to the carnival, takes him to the carnival, and this is where it really gets going. One of the best introduction, (gasps) one of the best introductions to a character is this shot of Peggy Cummins. When she, (laughs) she's firing the guns over her head and she comes into shot and she just kind of sees him and it, and you immediately sees him and you can can, see the look on her face. And at first, they don't even cut to him. It's so hot. Yeah, you you don't even know that. You just know that she is looking at him. Um, There's And without even the cut put in there, it's just like, oh, man. Should we just say it now? Like, this movie is so horny. Horny. (laughs) It is amazing. (laughs) The amount of horny that they can get into this movie without it actually being horny explicitly. Do you have that quote from Joseph Lewis? (laughs) I do. Okay. So I, I looked this up. I was scrolling through Wikipedia like when I first started it, and I came across this quote in an interview with Danny Perry. I'm just reading directly from Wikipedia. Um, director Joseph H. Lewis revealed his instructions to actors uh, Peggy Cummins and John Dahl. Quote, I told John, your cock's never been so hard. <laughs> and I told Peggy, you're a female dog in heat and you want him. But don't let him have it in a hurry. Keep him waiting. That's exactly how I talked to them and I turned them loose. I didn't have to give them more directions. And when you watch the movie like that, that is exactly what is going on. They are completely ready to fuck at any moment throughout this whole yes. movie. Okay. Her, especially when they're like pulling off a job. Oh, gosh. That turns her on so much. It it's turns unreal. her on so much. She's like practically biting her lip. <laughs> And then, and just in this first scene where they're where they're meeting, like they're obviously turned on by each other because of. Uh, I think he's like, "Oh, she's into guns too. Hell yeah!" yeah. <laughs> and then even when um, he beats her at this, like they, she's like a sharpshooter, mm-hmm. and so she invites uh, guys to come on stage with her and like have sharpshooting contests, and he beats her at it. And I think that kind of like um, it bruises her a little bit, but it also she's kind of like, hey, okay, <laughs> this yeah. is a guy that I could be with. And oh, they are so ready to just, yeah, bone each other yeah. like <laughs> on well, the stage. And the thing is, one of the things that's really that I wrote down here, she does something um, in her entrance that's kind of interesting. She shoots right at camera. Which is like huh? like right out of um, you know the Great Train Robbery, going back to the beginning of American movies, where the cowboy shoots directly at the camera. It's almost that an homage to that same cut. We talked about that in Goodfellas. Yeah. She also shoots like directly at him, yeah. 
but it's like yeah. some kind of trick. Yeah, they're, the gun, they're blanks. Though, actually. They're blanks, Shoot, I think, they're is blanks, what it's I supposed guess. to be there. Yeah. But there's also this whole thing, you know, okay, the guns are obviously phallic, right? So, I mean, sure. she <laughs> she's like, she's holding his cock and shooting it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> This she is, points this is, the gun between her legs at one point right. to shoot at a target. Yeah. This is this is Brian getting horny on the main, as they say. <laughs> Hell yeah, um, I love because it. Because I, I have to ease myself into this. This is this is you know my my Puritan upbringing. You know, making me not Puritan, but you know what I mean. Uh, <laughs> making this a challenge. But hey, if we're going to talk about unfaithful and eyes wide shut, I better get myself ready. Right, you got to get ready. Yeah. Um, so that's a little teaser if you were listening carefully enough there. Um, but <laughs> this whole sequence is just, I mean, I mean, it's, it's, it's foreplay in this mm-hmm. whole scene and they're, totally. and you know, she's doing all these great trick shots and it's just a dynamic scene anyway, but then that mm-hmm. crown thing where, okay, so th- they have this crown with matches on it. They put it on their head and they shoot at this person you know, who's wearing this crown and they light the matches with the bullets. Okay. So essentially you're shooting at someone's face (laughs) and you got to trust them that they're going to hit their mark. Now she hits five out of six on his crown. Then he says, well, are you afraid I'll miss, you know? And again, totally (laughs) just like foreplay between the two of them. Mm -hmm. And she puts on the crown and walks over to the target area. Well, when, when she's shooting at, at him, like he doesn't move no. an inch. Nope. He doesn't flinch. He's, he's completely, nope. and she doesn't either though. And he hits all six of hers. So he heats her up six times. Um, <laughs> he lights her up six times. There we go. Um, so um, we are, I mean, I'd call it subtext, and while you're watching it, it is. But as you, as I'm talking about it, it's like, my gosh, this movie is, everything in this is just about sex, isn't it? Every action is a precursor to sex. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But the thing is, there's not a single sex scene in this movie. There's one implied. Yep. Um, they uh, are also technically married, <laughs> um, you know, which is an interesting scene, too. But, I mean, okay, so... He doesn't, he's just coming back from the army. He doesn't have a job. So he gets, he's able to join the carnival. Um, so he, and Lori, she goes by Lori, even though it's Annie Lori star. What a great name. It's a great name. Yeah. I know. <laughs> um, and then you have uh, Lori's manager. He has the dirt on Packy. her. Packy. Yeah, that's right. Packy, like pachyderm. He sounds like an elephant. He's great little character. He's kind of an important character, even though he's... Mm-hmm. He reminds me of, I know you haven't seen Nightmare Alley yet, I don't think, but it's a little bit like uh, this relationship uh, that's in that movie. So I find it uh, interesting that another carnival movie, you know, that I've watched, I hadn't even thought about <laughs> this movie having a carnival aspect. I'd kind of forgotten about yep. that. Uh, so I love movies that involve... Fairs, carnivals, oh, circuses, freak I shows. Too. I think I think they're so interesting. Some of them are. are horror. Some of them are sort of horror adjacent. It's cool. But this guy is just kind of pathetic, but he has this dirt on her that um, she killed a man in St. Louis. I love how they call it St. Louis. Saint, I love it. I keep saying St. Louis, yeah. the, the whole movie. Yeah. <laughs> this scene, um, I'm talking about the scene in her trailer. Yes. Literally like one of my favorite like turns. Mm-hmm. I think of a character too, because you you can tell that she's kind of a badass from like the sharpshooting scene and everything. Uh, But in this scene, when um, Packy comes to her trailer and he says something like that 
that she's his and like as soon as he touches her like she's immediately like pushes him away and says like if you lay your hands on me like that again i'll kill you so you're kind of you're like oh it's that kind of relationship no like immediately after that it it turns to where like she's the dominant one and he's yeah. and he's switches to being like oh baby i'm sorry I like i'll do anything for you I know. and i love that so much <laughs> you think about how forward thinking this movie is for 1950 yeah um, right <laughs> the, and i love and the thing is oh my gosh pre-code movies and noir movies women are so powerful in them you yeah know? so i i just love how they so often have the upper hand in these movies mm-hmm. and they're so they're such great characters uh so he ends up firing them Packy ends up firing both of them what is, and then okay so so bart and Lori are driving off in the car i like this little exchange he said you should have left him alone till wednesday yeah and, and he says why wednesday payday <laughs> Yeah, there was, I just love, you know, so you, you get, but because she agrees to marry him, he says something about the justice of the peace or something. And, um, but even then she has kind of a look on her face. Like she's got some upper sleeve. She's like, okay, I'll marry you Yeah. because, Hey, maybe we can get some money that way or, or something. Maybe you can help this out. And at first it seems like they're doing, they've got some money, you know, like he goes and gets her a ring and they do this sort of cross country honeymoon. It seems like they go to Yellowstone and different places. She has a line. She has a line somewhere in here. I forget where I just wrote it down where she says, I'll try to be good. I'll try to be good. Yeah. That comes back later too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh Um, but at the same time, I'm always, I'm always a little bit like he is marrying, he wants to be with her because he really is into her. I don't always mm-hmm. feel that way about her. I'm not sure until she's a later so hard scene. She's to read yeah. in that way. I mean, there's a later yeah. scene where I go, okay, she's in it for him after all. But early on, I'm like, why is she sticking with him? Does she actually think she can use him or is it or what's going on here exactly it's hard to say or does she think that he's maybe kind of like another packy that right. she can she can boss around and get to do what what she wants to do because doesn't she say something like early on about like um or in that scene with packy like talking about like maybe wanting wanting some action mm-hmm. like she can i think she sees maybe him as someone that she can manipulate into doing those things with her and for her yeah well she knows he's a damn good shot yeah and um doesn't have an issue with guns and i think she's like because with packy we find out later that she killed a man in st louis is because they were doing the holdup thing that she eventually talks mm-hmm. bart into doing because at first he's like i'm not doing that because he doesn't want anybody to get hurt he doesn't want anyone to get hurt exactly and so they end up having to pawn her wedding ring and she because they lose all their money in vegas you know, as happens uh, if you've seen Casino sure. or or if, if, you, if you've ever seen Albert Brooks's movie Lost in America. There you go. I like that scene where they uh, they're eating the hamburgers. Yes. And they can't afford the they extra five the cents onions, for yeah. the onions. It's great stuff. But they eat it like so hungrily. So you yeah. can tell like kind of how desperate they are, which is important. for Yeah. And those burgers look like. She's able, they don't look very good. They look good. like cardboard. <laughs> they, they're, they're, they're eating them. It's like. Uh, they're like, yeah, yeah. It's, it's something about them just does not look good at all. Um, so they start holding up these businesses. Well, I like what she says before that too, because oh, she right, kind of right. casually mentions 
starting to rob places uh-huh. with him and he says he doesn't want to because he doesn't want people to get hurt and she talks about like you know being kicked around all her life and she wants to start kicking back yeah and she wants things big things mm-hmm. and she wants a guy with guts and she wants action like so and you can just tell like that's again that's what's like that's what gets her excited that's what she getting um have having things but i think it's mostly like the action that gets her turned on yeah <laughs> i don't know <laughs> there's a materialism involved yeah there's a little bit of materialism and yeah. so she i mean she even threatens to leave him mm-hmm. oh that, yeah because yeah, yeah, this is the part where she uh, she threatens to leave him if he won't do it with her and she says let's finish it the way we started and that's where you kind of imply that there's like a little sexy time yeah after that yeah. So see, like, so she's definitely um, like using sex to to get him to do the things that she wants him to do. Yep. Yeah, uh, they are just like little small time robbers. Yeah, I like the hold up the motorist they, uh, with the guy. Yeah. Then you get, you know, sort of this is the shot. This is the moment that everyone talks about about this movie is when they oh, go yeah. and rob the bank. Right. You have to. It's great because I mean, it's it's this backseat shot behind them they're dressed up in their carnival costumes right yeah and they're sort of dressed up like cowboys with like cheap <clears throat> cheap cowboy yeah. and cowgirl outfits yeah. yeah and it's this long unbroken shot from behind the characters three and a half minutes three and a half minutes excellent and and it's like you never got shots from behind the characters in movies at this time ever yeah you know i mean this just didn't happen and there's so he goes into the store or at the bank or i, I don't know they exactly improvised what, most of the lines yeah. Like, on the way there, like, when she's just kind of driving through, like, they just kind of improvise, like, uh, oh, like, watch out for that car. There's a space. Pull it up there. Yeah. Yeah. But it feels very real. Yeah. Oh, it's 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 documentarian and practically, you know, it's so great. And then um, mm-hmm. and then he goes into the store or into the bank. Right. And she is sitting at the wheel and she sees the police come around the corner. Mm-hmm. And walking down towards the car, and she's like, "Oh God!" And then it shows her get out of the car, and the camera follows. And that is one of the big things, like swings out the door with her. <laughs> and then you know that conversation. He like grabs her gun and is holding on to it. And then he says, "She reaches for his." And he's like, "Oh, sorry, no one touches." And then Bart comes racing back out of the store, <laughs> and they um, the alarm goes off. Yeah, yeah, and he comes racing out, and she like knocks the cop out. Knocks the cop out, and uh, he jumps in the car. The camera pulls back in behind them as they're racing off. Oh, it is, it's brilliant. It is such a great yeah, shot. It's and brilliant. It still just feels so lively and and just mm-hmm. wild, you know. And it feels yeah. like the kind of thing that. Uh, in 1967, when they did Bonnie and Clyde, would be in that movie. Yeah. You know, and it, it just has that kind of 1960s maverick energy to it. You don't expect it, like, you know, because we were talking about it being kind of low budget. Like, you don't, ex- you wouldn't expect to see a shot like this. And, like, when you're watching it, it's just, it's amazing. And I think the most amazing thing about just character-wise about this shot is when she's uh, he's asking if anybody's following them. The look on her face when she turns around, she's so turned on. She's <laughs> the, it's like such maniacal glee yeah. and uh, the look that's like that tells you everything you need to know about that character if you yeah. didn't get it already, you know. And, and that's that's the you know she's like biting her lip. I mean she's she's yeah. like she is because you can tell like yeah. that. Because she only does it when she turns away from him, so he doesn't mm-hmm. see it, too. But, yeah, she... Is, I think is another important thing. I think she's a little damp at that moment. Let's put it that way. <laughs> Brian! <laughs> 
That's supposed to be me. I'm supposed to be making those kind of comments. <laughs> Where did you come from? I don't know. I don't know. What I do like about the, this robbery, though, is that they give the guy his car back. They only tied him up. <laughs> they go back and they save him. The guy that she took the car from, like, when yeah. uh, that she was hitch- hitchhiking. Yeah. They, so they're nice robbers. <laughs> they were just using his car for the robbery. They had their own car. Yeah. They let him go. <laughs> yeah, they let him go. Um, and they, I love how they, their disguises there in the suits and the glasses, and they come up to the yeah. to the roadblock. And uh, she still looks super hot to me. Uh-huh. Yeah, I oh, mean yeah. it's like, huh? She looks a little school marmish. <laughs> you know, she's like a sexy librarian. In a, oh, it's a hot yeah. thing. Yes. Sorry, <laughs> you okay? People are learning <laughs> more about me than they ever knew. I love anyway. it. But there's this line after this. I mean, and honestly, I'm, I'm I started just taking fewer notes and just watching more and more as I went mm-hmm. along. But there's this line here where that they're having a conversation later, and you know, I'm real, I'm here, and he says, "Yes, but you're the only thing that is real. The rest is a nightmare." Yeah. Because um, that's when he stops her from killing someone during right. another getaway. Yeah. And he can only shoot at the tires not at the uh-huh. the driver right and every time he says something about how nervous he is about what they're doing she always interrupts him with like an i love you yeah or something like that mm-hmm. you know like again just using her feminine wiles i guess i hate that term. i know i hate it too but <laughs> to, i get what you mean yeah. but pretty much well, to always to, to to bring him back the fact that she holds his dick in a mason jar uh, is, Pretty much, is, yes. Let's put it that way. He is being led yeah. with his dick. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> straight to her. <laughs> I wrote that line down too. I love that line because yeah. it's yeah, that's it's, like perfect it's for how line. how he feels. It's a great line, and you know, he go ahead. He does. He hates what they're doing, but he can't get away from her. That's yeah. It all has to do with. That's her. what it's all about. It's all about her, and um, yep. yeah, and. I, and, and I'm still not convinced that she feels the same way about him. I'm not sure. It's hard yeah. to. It, she's so hard to read mm-hmm. through the whole movie, really, for me. I, even by the end, I'm not there's, really sure. There's one. There's one part where I'm kind of like, okay, she had. Anyway, we'll we'll get to that in a minute. There's one part where I'm kind of like, okay, maybe this is actually she feels a similar connection, but. Well, because it's yeah. this next part yeah, that makes this, me not so sure. Yeah, this is it. This is it. Now that we're talking about it, when there's when they're stranded in the the cars, like stranded in the snow in Montana uh-huh. or whatever, and they're holed up in some barn, I think, yeah. and they they have this whole conversation that makes me like totally unsure what her motivations are, uh-huh. because this is where she tries to convince him. You know, like he says, like that they're. He he would have killed the driver, right. and he's scared of that. He doesn't he doesn't want this kind of life anymore. And he said he's he's basically had enough. And she says, so have I. And it's like, I don't believe you, though. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I do either. So we'll stop. But we just need to do one more job so we have money so we can have a happy life together. Yeah, with the look on her face at the end of that last scene. Yeah. She's not, she's not over this. <laughs> she this has is, not had enough. She's getting the thrill out of all of it. She's not entirely satisfied no, yet. No, <laughs> no. She hasn't come yet. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> <Brian>. <laughs> You can, <laughs> if I'm go too far, you can just, uh, you can no, just I cut mean, the that's sound. Basically. I'm, I, yeah. If, if we lose all our listeners from this episode, it'll be my fault. <laughs> I don't want them if they don't love this discussion. <laughs> okay. Excellent. <laughs> Come on. Cause this is amazing. But cause when she says, when they, when she suggests this, that infamous one last job, you know, yeah. that all these kind of movies have to have, uh-huh. she talks about 
you know, how they'll have to split up for a couple of months afterwards and not be together. And that makes me wonder, it's like, are you going to go back to him, though, if that's your plan? Because it sounds like she's she's just saying that and like saying like, oh, we'll we'll have this job. um, We'll have the money and then. I can ditch you and find someone who's exactly. like really going to stick with me on this. Yeah, and and that's um, where I was thinking. That's what. That's where I would expect it to happen. You know, in this movie, right? Yeah. Okay, so this whole this whole heist is fantastic. I love this. Yeah, it is. Um, I love how yeah. they're planning it out on the newspaper. They're like writing it all out on the newspaper and drawing their map, and pl- they they are so ready and planned out. They know what they're doing, and that's a great sort yep. of sort of call over to um, to Dog Day Afternoon as well. You know, I wish we knew a little bit more about the planning, but it's almost good that we don't uh, for that movie. But yeah. um, we'll get to that when we talk about Dog Day. But um, this robbery scene is so good. I mean, you can feel the suspense not only for Bart and Lori, um, but also for the people that are that they're victimizing. Because, yeah. I mean you're kind of put in the perspective of like the woman who's looking at the burglar alarm. You're, mm-hmm. you're put into multiple perspectives. And I think for me, I was feeling the moment for every single one of those characters, no matter who you're rooting for the most in this situation, you're just kind of like feeling for everybody. I think that is just brilliant. And it's like, how do you pull that off in such an economic <laughs> kind of way? It's just skill of the editing and the rhythms of the editing, the shot, the direction, everything is just, it's just brilliant. And I really think Lori adds a lot to the suspense and the tension of this because she's been so unpredictable. They've established that Bart cannot kill any living thing and that she doesn't really have a problem with it. Right. Because in that that one scene where they're doing the getaway and they're being chased, she's driving and he's facing the people in the back. She's yelling at him, shoot, shoot. Right. She would have had no problem if he had to kill somebody for them to get away. And so you're very, so you're very worried about, especially what's her name? Uh, Mrs. Seifert. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she. Which she should be. Now, part of me wonders, (laughs) like, how long were they? They got jobs there. They both got jobs at this meatpacking place. So how long do they have to work there? I, that's what I'm wondering <laughs> to, like, too. Set all this up. Because I mean, he's a he's one of the butchers, and she is like in the office, and um, mm-hmm. it's like she's wearing slacks that day, and that they kind of make a big deal out of the fact that she's wearing slacks. It's because it's because she could run, you know. It's so she can run oh, in them. True. That's what I was thinking. It's like she true. didn't wear the skirt true, true, that true. day. But yeah, that's what makes you worried for Mrs. Seifert because she's the one that like kind of gets on her about that and he's like yeah, i don't think you want to talk yeah. to Lori that way she's planning on robbing you mm. and yeah and she she yeah. and they when they have them hold up in the office there and you know miss seaford she's the one that grabs the alarm right the burglar alarm and and mm. you know as they're escaping out of this you know they run out of there it's so Lori well, shoots her yeah, lo- exactly Lori shoots her and then um they're in the car and goes, I sure hit the old bitty that set off the alarm. You know, I mean, she's like, she's excited by it again. And then when she mm-hmm. turns around and she shoots the guard and she knows she's dead, it's almost like she comes. I mean, it's, it's uh, seriously, I mean, the look on her face is like, yeah. she is hot, you know, in that moment, not, not to make everything in it about sex, but I think that really is an element of her character here is that she's been wanting to kill somebody. Yeah. I, you know, maybe I'm wrong, but I really think that that is just like something 
here. That's why I think it's interesting to watch her play this kind of character in a movie with John Dahl, mm. who was playing that kind of character in Rogue. Exactly. Yeah. He very much got like a sexual thrill out of the killing. Absolutely. Like we talked about that mm-hmm. in that episode. Yeah. Clearly. And so it's sort of like she's playing the female version of the yeah. character he was playing in Rope. And and he's playing more like uh, the other character in Rope, you know, Farley Granger's character. Yeah, yeah, Farley Granger's character. So he's a little bit, it's a little bit like, I, it's, I'm saying this because I was just talking about Scream, I think. It's a little bit like Billy and Stu. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, peer pressure with Bart being more like Stu and, and uh, Lori yeah. being a little bit more like Billy. Well, anytime there's like this partners in crime thing, yeah. we, there's always there's a, dynamic, the dominant yeah. one and there's submissive one. There's the mastermind and the, uh, and sort of the trigger man or whatever. And yeah, we definitely see that in dog day as well. Yep. But like after the robbery, they're supposed to get in separate cars and yes, go in different this directions. Is the part, this is the part where I'm like, this is, I know. this is where, I'm, this is where it's like, Oh, okay. So she actually is into him because I know. And this is that line that I love this exchange to when they're about to split up and Bart says, Lori be good. And she says, Sure. <laughs> so good. So good. And but but then she like stops and Bart knows Bart Bart and she just climbs in the car with him is like ho- holding on to him, just clinging to him while he's driving they're both, away yeah. and they're just beaming. They're just beaming and I'm like that okay. All right. I, I I'm <laughs> This is where I got another more of that the horniness like yeah. they, they couldn't get away from each other after they pulled out this job they're both so excited they got a fuck afterwards. That, yeah. <laughs> the way that they're holding each other in the car. Yeah. Afterwards it's like a love thing like no I don't want to leave you but it's also like we're not done yet. <laughs> yeah. And I was watching the special feature on the Blu-ray of this. And I um and at the beginning James Elroy the author uh, of L.A. Confidential, uh, he defines noir, and he says it was this movies made from this period to this period, um, and they are all extrapolations on a single theme: you're fucked. And so um, it's like you have just met a woman; you are about you are inches away from having the best sex of your life. But <laughs> the way he describes it in that documentary essentially describes this movie to a T. I can see yeah, that. Yeah, it's yeah. it's totally. But they're and that's the thing; they're in a horrible situation, but they are so at this point just so completely linked to each other. That, mm-hmm. you know, especially him, he's not going to give her up for anything. Her, I'm still never any sure of. I, yeah, it, that's why this scene kind of confuses a me. A little bit. <laughs> unless she's unless yeah. she's that turned on, uh, yeah. which is possible. Because we see how, how much the whole uh, robbery thing sort of does it for her, right? If it's just that or if there is something yeah. in there for him. You know, and then they have this whole pursuit montage with the cops and, and they started all out by saying they're dangerous and armed shoot to kill. Uh, just yeah. if you see them, shoot them. And that is, that puts real stakes into the story here. Um, now this has this whole pursuit montage is actually, it's just like classic uh, filmmaking of its type, right? Because you have the all the I like how they call it a dragnet. Yeah, the dragnet. You have the newspaper headlines and what looks like a lot of stock footage, you know, yeah. of uh, cop cars chasing and people 
being <laughs> picking up people for lineups, picking up people for lineups, all that kind of stuff. It's a lot of fun. I actually really like this little montage and, you know, uh-huh. and you see again, you know, just like you do in the honeymoon montage that this is a low budget movie. You know, this is not made by a big studio. It was this allied artist, you know, one of those sort of more or less poverty row studios. Um, and I just dig that so much that a movie this good is essentially an independent film of that time. You know, it's so cool. <laughs> it's so cool. I love cool. that. But then one of the things that they're, yeah, they're heading to California, heading to California. I'm saying, no, they're, they're heading to California and they get a place. Where they can see the ocean. I love the whole... And then... When they're crossing the California state line, though. Yeah. I, I love how close they come to getting caught, but then the person behind them is being an asshole. So the border guard is like... And okay. Why and, you a, and you're not even crossing into another country. You're crossing into California from Arizona. <laughs> from where are they? Were they in yeah. Arizona or... or New Mexico. Or New Mexico or Nevada or something like that. Um, Somewhere. And so it, it doesn't matter that much, but... I the, don't know. The, I don't know my The states. border guard's like... <laughs> The border guard's like, well, I'm going to give them the full. <laughs> it's like, you guys can go. I'm going to give these people the full uh, the full job here. I love that part because. Why would you freaking honk so at a cop to go faster? To it. Oh, I love that part. It's like, because they, it's, it's a great moment of tension, but um, uh-huh. essentially the criminals are let go because the person behind them is being an asshole. <laughs> so don't be an so asshole good. ever. See, <laughs> just don't be an asshole. Um, but then they redo the back of the uh, the behind them shot again. You know, within the when they're in the back of the cab, and it moves out the door with them and everything. It's just like it's sort of this clever callback, even though they're oh, not yeah. mm-hmm. doing it. And it makes you sort of think: Are they are they pulling off another job? Well, then Bart finds out because he didn't know about the two people that yeah. were killed during the robbery. And when he's reading that obituary, like that, that is a tough scene. Two people mm-hmm. dead. Yeah, also we can live without working, you know? Why did you do it? Mm-hmm. That's a great line. Well, and she plays it off like she was afraid. Like, oh, yeah. I just got scared. I had to do it. That's the same thing that happened. Well, it's just like you, you were know, saying. With, with Packy in St. Louis. Yeah. And like, no, you're not. You're such a liar. No. And she says, because I had to. You're the only thing I've got in the world. And I yeah. love you. Um, you know, again, you know, dick in a mason jar. <laughs> This is where I can't believe her. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so. She's just kind of pulling him along, stringing yeah. him along. And this is where we find out, you know, that essentially the killing in St. Louis that happened was because of her and Packy doing essentially what she and yeah. Bart are doing now. I like his line here. Like, I think it's him. He says, like, we go together. I don't know why. Maybe like guns and ammunition. Yes, we that's go together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, which is, again, a sexual reference. I mean, I'm sorry. Yeah. It, it, Every, every, (laughs) yeah, I mean, the movie's called Gun Crazy. You could practically call it Sex Crazy. I wasn't going to say the other thing. You can fill in that (laughs) blank if you want, but it's true. Um, I I think that the police, again, like in The Hitchhiker, the police are fairly competent, you know, in this movie. Mm -hmm. They're not bad guys, (laughs) you know, necessarily, except for the fact that they are pursuing our protagonists, right? Uh, And I love that. We have anti-heroes, you know, the people that we don't have to like um, is, I think, so much more interesting. We talked about this before in, a, in another yeah. episode, right? Are you rooting more for Bart probably than Lori? I want Lori to punish me however she wants. <laughs> uh, I mean, same. Yeah, yeah. Um, but <laughs> I probably from just like the standpoint of who's a good, I hate to 
the term good person. That That's not really what I mean. Mm. I think Bart is more along she for the ride. She probably could be. I, see, I can see where she come from. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think Bart is probably more the innocent in this. I mean, he's obviously, he's done his part. But he's way too easily manipulated. Exactly. <laughs> he really is. I mean, I want Bart to get away. You know, by the end, I'm kind of like, I want him to maybe be okay if they got to Mexico. Could she change, though? No. <laughs> I don't think no? so. I don't think so. I think she, it sounded like from that um, earlier scene when she's talking about, like, having been kicked around and wanting to kick back, she, I think she has so much, like, past anger yeah. and like just resentment at the world that you can't just get over that you yeah. know she's got some stuff to work out she does she does you know and okay so the police have traced some of their money some of this money that they stole back to their location and so they are able to sort of tighten in the dragnet a little bit and so they're deciding they figure out a way to head to mexico and i love this scene where they just go out and have a night out yeah they want to have one last night what, and, together yeah and it's just Kind of like they're on the roller coaster. I mean, the fact that the first ride they go on is they're back in a carnival is again. the roller coaster. I think is saying something about their relationship too. You know, it's a roller coaster sexual now too. Yeah, everything, kind of everything, everything. <laughs> uh, feels like the one last happy evening. Though I gotta admit, the song uh, that the lady's singing in the nightclub is pretty on the nose. Um, laughing on the outside, crying on the inside. Uh, yeah, that whole thing. I remember it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. Um, but then, you know, then they uh, get stopped, you know, out there. The cops are there. They're tracking, they're tracking the money yeah. from the robbery yeah. by the serial numbers. Yeah. They're there at where they're out dancing one night and they run. Yep. They run for it. Yep. Um, they hold up the cabbie. Um, I like that little scene. Um, it's very James mm-hmm. Cagney to me. You know, like when he robs the, in the public enemy, when he asks if he can, if he can look at one of the guns in the gun store and then he uses the gun to rob oh, yeah. the store. Yeah. I love that. Well, and then you're also, I also found myself rooting for them at this point yeah. too, when they were arguing about what to do in the, I was like, why are you saying that in front of the cabbie? Yeah, I know. Well, I mean, <laughs> you're telling of, him, you're telling him your plans. Exactly. Stop I it. Know it's sad. And it's like, well, we can't get to Mexico. Mexico takes money besides we can't get to the money because it's in the hotel room. That's just like, yeah. oh, everything mm-hmm. with that previous scene is kind of wasted now, right? It's it's yeah. just like, oh, shoot, for them, you know? And then, yep. you know, they show them this writing on boxcars and, you know, they end up going to Ruby's house and she's got the three kids now and, oh, man. And her his childhood friends show up and they're cops <laughs> you know um, one of them's a sheriff one of them is a reporter right 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 i was a little bit angry at bart too um because you can see at the beginning kind of how how haggard ruby has become yeah you know in a way like she she says at the beginning that she raised him like she had to be the mother and the father for him so their parents were somewhere not around and it's like he doesn't really take care of her there's no thought of her in all of this. Right. Oh. It's you very just kind of feel bad yeah. for Ruby. Ruby just seems like a, such a good character. And you see her in some of those scenes with her kids. Like she's obviously stressed out and needs help. Yeah. yeah. I just feel bad for Ruby because she seems like a good person. Yes. I would agree. <laughs> Maybe the that. one good person she's, in the movie. Yeah. Well, I, I can't really fault his 
friends either necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, it's oh, yeah, um, they're, they're, like they're, they're doing their jobs. They're not malicious. In fact, they they kind of give them a heads up and say, you know, you better go. Yeah. You better get out of here. And for especially, you know, the cop to kind of put his job on the line for that. It, it, it shows that friendship means something there. Yeah. Um, and, There's loyalty. Yeah. There. And, and that, that makes the ending all the more, you know, powerful, I think, too. Yeah. But, you know, they do this whole, uh, when, good Lord, when Lori tries to steal the baby. Yeah. <laughs> holy shit. She's like, we should take the baby with us. <sighs> They won't shoot a baby. They won't shoot a baby. And he's just like, what the fuck? No. It's like, he, he just takes it from her and put, puts it in, in the playpen there. No. It's just like, oh, man. Poor kid. Well, even before screaming. that moment, <laughs> that moment with Ruby and the sister, mm-hmm. and she's just like in the kitchen working, and Lori's like, I'm not, I'm like, I don't trust you. Not even Bart's sister. No. Like, that right. phone, the phone is right there. You could go and call the police. And uh, that's ma- That makes me feel bad for Ruby, too. Oh, for sure. Definitely. Okay, so they do this uh, escape into the mountains here, um, which yeah. is, you know, a nice sort of chase sequence, which works out pretty good. And, but this ending in the marsh is, this is just one of my favorite endings in noir, I think. It's it's a bit of a, like a drawn out sequence before, yeah. like with them, mm-hmm. like they're just, they're, they're running and they're getting more and more haggard and yeah. tired and dirty mm-hmm. and run down. And she's getting just a little bit more crazy. She's like, you know, let them come. I'll, I'll kill them. I'll kill them. Yeah. And, you know. And, and well, they're talking about also like being out of breath because they're like so high up in the mountains mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. just like so desperate. Just kind of all of that just like adds to their desperation by the time they get to here. Yeah. The end. Yeah. yeah and I love the way this whole f- sequence looks because, I mean, there's that mist all around them mm-hmm. and the tall grass and the, you know, like the cattails and stuff that are around them. They're sort of down in this sort of muddy bank. It's almost like dreamlike, like it's not real and even it, <laughs> the way that it looks. And even here, you know, as they're just like desperate and they can hear people closing in on him, they can hear the dogs barking, I think. Isn't that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he says, yeah. no matter what happens, I wouldn't have it any other way. Any other way. I know. (laughs) I just I wrote that line down and then I wrote, Really? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And but the thing is I he just desires her so much, you know. Mm -hmm. But then that moment and then then they have that kiss, you know, that super close up kiss. Man. His friend Clyde and Dave are their names, by the way. Oh, His thank, friends, yeah, thank they're they're, you, thank you. they're calling out to them mm-hmm. like through the mist, and they're they're getting closer and closer, and she's getting more and more like I'll kill you, desperate. Yeah. I'll kill you, and then she's she, that look on her face there. Mm-hmm. Um, but then Bart knows, you know, it's Clyde and David. He knows it's these friends yeah. of his. So so he's like he shoots her instead of, uh, and that's just like it's very Romeo and Juliet. Uh, it has sort of that quality to it. He shoots her and then they shoot him, which yeah. is just all the more. I don't know if it's because of the gunshot. You know, they're like, oh, we're being fired upon. We need to fire. Um, yeah. Or, or what exactly? Probably. Um, yeah. I mean, obviously they're armed. They have orders to shoot, to kill, right? Yep. They shoot him. Um, they both sort of lie, are dead in the grass there. And then... The cuts to Clyde and David and, you know, 
this ending was really moving to me. It's sort mm-hmm. of a gut punch in a quiet way where it also felt to me like it's the way it should have gone, though. Yeah. In a way. And he, where he where they call out to them, are you OK? And says, yeah, we're all right. He just says it really quiet. Yeah, we're all right. But again, I mean, like like with most noirs that we've talked about, are they really? <laughs> <laughs> Um, they're most likely dead <laughs> no i mean no i mean not not quite david no i mean they're they're saying i think david says yeah we're oh, all he's right. the one that says you're yeah, all right okay. yeah yeah we're all right because you know he, oh, that's he right knows yeah, yeah. Okay. They, they, sorry i didn't remember that yeah yeah he just you know killed his childhood friend mm-hmm. he's not gonna be all right entirely you know after that and i think that is implied there and you know i gotta say one of the things that i was thinking while i was watching this movie is okay so we just lost peter bogdanovich uh this week right as we're recording this uh, Mm -hmm. just a couple days ago and targets when we talked about targets and then also of course we talked about taxi driver there's just sort of this fetish fetishization of guns in those movies and this feels like a very strong anti-gun message kind of movie it's just like getting yourself involved so deeply and so fixated on this thing is that really good for you (laughs) you know no i i think Movies that fetishize, where a character fetishizes guns like that, I think can be really fascinating to watch somehow. And so it, it, I, it was just making me think of those films while I was watching it. Because like in their daily lives, I mean, it's not it's not a bad thing. She uses it as yep. sharpshooting. It's her yep. job mm-hmm. as, you know, entertainment and the carnival. And, you know, he, I don't know, he did his army stuff i don't know it's not right. something he can't kill anything he only uses it you know for you know target practice yeah, i mean it's not necessarily like that so it's, uh, it's not nec- yeah, it's not so it's not necessarily a yeah. dangerous thing it's when you take that uh-huh. you know against other people obviously yeah, yeah exactly and, and you know that i think that probably tends to be where i fall when it comes to guns you know yeah personally um because you know like my brother uh shoots and um yeah has, my family they go yeah. target Shooting all the time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and I, I don't have a problem with that. But, you know, at the same time, we all have seen, you know, what happens when people become unhealthy about... Well, any, yeah. and you know, it's kind of anything, though. <laughs> I mean, yeah, and, oh, totally, and in, this, yeah. in this case, I think there's the unhealthy obsession that at least Bart has with Lori, too, I think, is, sure. is part of this story, too. You know, obviously that happens, too. <laughs> You know, people get unhealthily obsessed with other people and, you know, or allow themselves to be manipulated and drawn into Mm -hmm. something that is bad for them, ultimately. That's why I kind of like that the way that the ending goes in a way, even though they they both die and it sucks. Yeah, yeah. But that he's the one that shoots Laurie. Yeah. When, you know, they've established again throughout the whole movie that he can't kill anything, that he has a hard time even attempting it you know he does it to protect his friends but it's also like his his one last stand against her for all of her manipulation into getting her getting him into this life in the first place yeah you know and then again movies like this kind of kind of poetic when it is poetic then you you watch (laughs) movies from the 50s and 40s and 30s they really end when they're done I mean, it's like, okay, oh, yeah. we, it's, we, it's we, we said everything we had to say, we're done. Um, and this is another great example of that, you know, because it just sort of shows the overhead shot of the two guys and it's over. 
and it's a, it's kind of a perfect ending to it as well. Like I said, I think with just minor reservations, this movie is just an absolute masterpiece. It's so good. It it's is. An, it's got to be one of my favorite noirs, and there are so many good ones. Mm. But I tell you, this one just gets me every time I watch it. It just is like it's so dynamic. It feels so modern in so many ways, and the it energy does. of it. I mean, honestly, I mean, this is only the second time I've seen it. But honestly, it was when I read that quote from the directors would like completely opened up the movie for me. And like I I saw it through that lens and it just it was uh, I loved it even more. It just it, I could see yeah. so much more into the characters like seeing it that way. And it just made it so much more interesting to me. Uh, yeah. And I, even before and you beautiful. even yeah. before you texted me the quote, I was like, yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, you <laughs> were immediately like, like yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Um, so, I mean, I, I guess, I, I, I guess the first time I saw it, I didn't really think about it. But this time, as soon as I started, I was like, "Oh man, she is so turned uh, on by all this." So many iconic little shots from this movie that I love. I still like, like one of my, like I said, one of my favorite introductions to a character is her coming on the stage, like shooting oh. the guns, and like that look at him. It's just, it's so perfect. Yeah, and then just kind of <laughs> shooting him shooting at him uh, <laughs> uh, and yeah. smiling and smiling she's yeah. she's beautiful she's gorgeous oh my gosh she's so gorgeous everything about her is desirable and it's like uh-huh. you know she come on you come on stage what would you like me to do i will do anything for you mm-hmm. just tell me please whatever because it's not just that she's beautiful it's just that she exudes a energy that is mm-hmm. sort of irresistible you know uh it's yep. incredible so why was she not a bigger star? I mean, is part of the question I don't know. because she's she there's so much going for her that you just see in this movie. And she's just wasn't in a lot of other stuff. I kind of looked up what her other movies were on Letterboxd and it wasn't much beyond um, Curse of the Demon that I saw that I recognized. That's a shame. Uh, but she's you know, she's top build in this. Uh, looks like a f- several film noirs, but they're movies that I don't recognize the titles of like Hell Drivers escape then i probably wouldn't yeah moss rose both sides of the law these sound like kind of cool movies though meet mr lucifer i was just looking at that (laughs) (laughs) i don't know anyway um cool so she's amazing yeah she totally should have had an amazing career from just from this role and by the way curse of the demon rocks i mean if you've never seen curse of the demon that movie i that's a movie i i had to seek out a lot I, I spent years trying to find that movie. I finally got the DVD and then, you know, a year later it came out on that indicated yeah. Blu-ray. Uh, <laughs> and so I picked that up. Um, but that movie's incredible. So good. All right. Ready um, for the next one? Yeah. Let's move on um, to seriously. It's hard to pick a favorite Sidney Lumet movie, but this one's Twelve awfully high on the list. <laughs> 12 Angry Men. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I I for me I have to go with that one. But this is like right underneath. 12 Angry Men is way up there. Um I, I have a trouble choosing a definitive one cuz this last viewing we did of The Verdict also just sort of raised that movie in my estimation as well. And I already liked that movie a lot. Um oh, Network is way up there. Dog Day Afternoon came along for me at a time when I was watching uh sort of in high school, I guess, watching things like The Godfather and trying to get a handle on, you know, what was great about movies of this period. And John Cazale uh, kept on sort of popping up, right? Um, because he was in The Godfather, The Godfather Part Two, 
The Conversation, another great Coppola film, right? And, uh, whoops, sorry. He's only in five movies. He's only in five movies. What was the other one? Uh, (laughs) The Deer Hunter. Oh, that's right. That's quite a track record. Oh, my God. (laughs) all five of the movies you ever appeared in. Yeah. To be nominated for Best Picture with three of them winning. He's a good luck charm. Yeah. What a legacy uh, that he left. And his role here as Sal is so interesting. What an interesting actor. He was. What interesting choices he made in every movie he was in. It's very subtle here, but important. Yes. I mean, he does here. Yeah. I mean, because Al Pacino is kind of the. Al Pacino's the loud. He's a megastar. Yeah. 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 Of this movie. Mm -hmm. But yeah, John Cazale is uh, Saul. Sal Mm -hmm. is very important. They're very different. Again, like differences in these two people that are involved uh, the partners in crime yeah sunny al pacino is the the dominant one the one is who's, who's in charge but there's something a little bit uh there's something a little a little more bit going on i think there's something than, a little bit scary going on yeah with sal there's, you, you can see that there's something bubbling just underneath the surface he's the one that scares me more as i watch yeah. this movie because he's sort of like the quiet guy that you hear about who suddenly shoots up his yeah. office, you know. Okay, so anyway, kind of where I was going with all that. I, so I watched this at a time when I was watching all those other movies, and this one was like, it totally caught me by surprise. I did not expect it to be a, a movie. I just didn't, I didn't know what, I was like, a bank robbery movie, okay. But mm-hmm. then to have it be, what it is was so surprising to me. I mean, it, it feels like a documentary practically the way it's shot. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's got that seventies look to it, you know, where everything is a little bit washed out looking. The lighting is kind of flatter. Mm-hmm. It, no it music. There's no music, uh, which is some Lumet did more than once. He did it a few times. He did it in a, in fail safe as well. Which, you know, is sort of always cast into the shadow of Dr. Strangelove, but it's a really great movie, too. But, yeah, this is, it just captures a moment, I think, mm-hmm. that makes it just, it just it's, it hits you. It For me, it just hit me like a ton of bricks when I first saw it. I had never seen anything like this. And it still packs such a punch after having seen it, it several times, you know. I was kind of like, okay, I'm going to sit down and watch this. I've seen it before. I'll probably take a break in the middle. I just couldn't. I couldn't stop the movie. I just, it just, I, we're going to hit, you know, two, and then before I knew it, two hours and four minutes had gone by and it was over. Yep. It was, it's just incredible. Yeah. I don't have any kind of like personal or like connection to it, like why I chose this one in particular. I think I first saw it in high school and. Uh, Again, like we've talked about, it's one of my favorite kind of movies where it mostly takes place in one location. One location, yeah. Very quiet. One day. Like you said, it's like it's very much captures a time. It captures this this time period, this place, what was going on at the time, mm-hmm. you know, that this story actually happened because it is based loosely, I would say, a little yeah. bit loosely on a true story. And yeah, the way that this played out, I think I I wanted to see it because I was like, oh, okay, Al Pacino, like bank robbery movie. Like, yeah, I was sure, seeing lots awesome. of Al Pacino at the time too. You know, he yeah. was sort of like my guy, right? But it definitely does not play out like you expect it to. You no. don't expect the kind of interplay that you see between the characters, between the him and the cops, between him and the other people in the bank, 
between oh. him and the people that he's involved with. I, and I loved all of that the way I loved how much of a surprise it was and how it was handled and how it was so different and and what this movie does for the time period it's obviously not perfect in terms of one of the very important representations that is portrayed in the movie but it it, it was one of the only ones that was happening at the time it was respectful I think for its time because yeah. I mean we were we've we've changed our language quite a bit yes since then. Um, we've changed how we um, deal with, you know, and discuss um, those things. But I, I actually think for the most part, it still comes across to me as fairly respectful, especially when you keep yeah, in mind that this is 1970s, you know, yeah. early 70s. Oh, exactly. Yeah. yeah. The language that we would use now, it would, would be different. Be different. Yeah. Sure. But mm. yeah, I do think it's very respectful and i that's what i kind of loved when i was first like falling in love with this movie i was like this just feel all of this just feels so sincere yeah there's some there's an incredible sense of sincerity just throughout this whole movie and and it's Mm -hmm. not it's not an exciting like bank robbery you know movie like you expect it to be but it is so much better than that yeah for that yeah and i think um you know it just starts out by setting this up as this is just a day it's just a normal mm-hmm. day. And it takes a it's long a dog time. day afternoon in yeah, New York. In New York Brooklyn. In, in 1972, right? And mm-hmm. there's just all a whole lot of nothing going on all around New York at the beginning of this movie. And I love that he takes the time to establish that happening. Um, you yep. know, they show uh, Sonny's wife and kids um, at the very beginning, but you don't know who they are. And they're walking under a marquee that of... A Star is Born. It says A Star is Born, that. I know. Yeah, I totally did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I, I jotted that down because uh, we've been talking about that a little bit lately. Um, I, I so literally I did like one of those Leo DiCaprio things. I was like, Star is Born. Did you? <laughs> <laughs> I jotted it yeah. down. It was pretty much my version <laughs> of doing that. Um, but I love when they walk into the bank at first. You know, Sal just got, sort of walks over and just. Well, after all those shots, like I, I like how Sidney Lumet described it. Um, like he literally just like went out one day and got all of those just random shots mm. around the city. And he says, well, and then when it cuts to Al Pacino sitting in the car, it's like, okay, n- now you know that you were actually in the movie. Cause before, yeah, it just feels like yeah. documentary just portion donkey. of it. It is. When you see Al, it's like, oh, okay, now we're, we're in the, the movie. I was like, I like the because way he described that. He was a big star by 1975. Yeah. I mean, he was Michael Corleone by then, right? <laughs> I just um, like the way Lumet described um, setting up the movie like that way. Yeah, I love that. You know, it starts out with these three guys, you know, because you have Sal, yeah. you have Sonny, and you have Stevie. And Is that I, his name? I, I, I jotted it down, name. yeah. Um, <laughs> but I, I love the way they, it sets up their characters really interesting ways right from the beginning, just the way they handle themselves. Because mm-hmm. obviously they're both like in uh, coats and ties and shirts and everything. You know, they're all kind of dressed. They're both kind of dressed up. Sal goes in there and sits at the manager's desk and just quietly pulls out his gun and points it at him. Very calmly. You know, that's what's very calm. He is like and the, then, uh, the the cold, calm one. Yeah. yeah. And then Which they have. Which is why I understand that he's like why a he's scary as hell. Yeah. 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 And then they have. Um, Pacino walk in with the big, you know, like flower, like it package, like he's got flowers in it or something like that. Yeah. And he just kind of wrestles the gun out of it and he starts going, all right, how are you? Everything, <laughs> yeah. literally everything you need to know about 
him is in mm-hmm. that is in that little sequence I'm, when he just like is fumbling with the gun. It's like okay, he doesn't actually know what the fuck he's doing, exactly. or he's this is not on a whim, but they've planned it. But he's not a professional, exactly. obviously. The way they set this whole thing up, where it's like he's he's got the spray paint, you know, to block off the cameras but he can't mm-hmm. reach them you know he's kind of having to jump up and get out or get on the chair and stuff is like he didn't yep. think it all through but on the other hand so in some ways he's a total idiot but in others he's like this is marked money you can't um, don't give me that it's shit he knows the charges that would be brought against him if he was caught you know doing in all of this mm. he's he, not dumb no. he's yeah i mean so i love that they're they're sort of like yeah he did his homework but he didn't do all his homework or when he actually gets to the situation he's a, a little bit frazzled by it yes. all at first yeah. which i get but and especially Richie then you Bobby. know stevie yeah, he, he would be. stevie their getaway driver gets cold feet <laughs> yep. you know and, and he's just like, I can't do it. He's like, you what? He's like, I can't do it. <laughs> and, and he's like, what? what? I like that. And they actually, they let them have a conversation with Sal's like, okay, just let him go. And he's like, okay, well, don't take the car. We need the car. It's the getaway car. <laughs> don't take, take the subway. The it's like, Stevie, the keys. <laughs> the keys. Yeah. I mean, that's great stuff. I mean, it feels, mm-hmm. I love that. Obviously, this is a scripted movie, but it feels like there was room. Because, okay, Lumet's way of i've talked about this before lumet's way of making a movie is you rehearse a rehearse, lot rehearse rehearse yeah yeah you rehearse it like you rehearse a play and then when you get the cameras on these people you get it done faster it's cheaper you bring your movie in on time and under budget and that's why people let him make whatever the fuck he wanted for mm. you know 40 years <laughs> you know that's the way but then <laughs> But then Al Pacino also talks about how he would really work his actors yeah. to get what he wanted out of them. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Especially um, in the scene. I liked um, what Al Pacino was saying in the what happened in the scene with the two phone calls mm-hmm. that happened back to back. Although that scene is incredible. <laughs> we'll get to that. Yeah, he definitely. I mean, he he uh, his book, I've mentioned it before, Making Movies uh, by Sidney Lumet, essential. If you're interested in how movies are made, read that book. Obviously, it's not going to go into all the technical details and stuff, but it gives you a great idea of how he worked and how he made movies. And it's it's fascinating and it's beautifully written. He's a great storyteller, like I was telling you, you know, not just in his process of making films, but also just in how he talks to in interviews and uh, mm. and his book is very much the same way like that. It's kind of the main thing that I love about 70s movies too is this kind of shit that you see throughout yeah, this whole movie room for where it's scripted. Yeah, where it's script you can tell it's it's scripted but it also feels completely improvised and like yeah. they're completely just having these actual conversations with each other. Yeah. And it's I love it so much. I mean, granted, it's so much more it so much more grounded. Yeah, I think granted a lot of improvisation that comes up in this movie came up in the rehearsal process. Even when they were shooting, there were moments that happened in the moment. And mm-hmm. we'll talk about that those two. One for sure that I know about. But um, that is one of the most iconic scenes of the movie. You know, Stevie happens to see, hey, there's someone hiding under the desk as he's leaving, um, you know, which is, you know, Carol Kane. This must be one of her earliest films. Oh, I know. She's so cute. She's she's just adorable in this. I love this. I like his line, too. I think Sonny's line. 
he just says something like, uh, I'm a Catholic and I don't want to have to hurt anybody. That's exactly. <laughs> I, wrote, I wrote, I'm a Catholic. I don't want to hurt it. And he doesn't say it in a, it's just is what it is. You know, it's, it just it's, is. Yeah. yeah I, yeah, it's so good. Uh, but I love that. Oh, I love how they fucked up everything so yeah, much. They go into the, they get into the vaults and there's only $1,100 in the vault. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, like damn what? <laughs> so then it's he's so taking good. he's going behind the teller desk and getting all the money um mm. this is where we're introduced to our favorite character in this oh, entire movie sylvia sylvia she's <laughs> referred to as teller she's referred mouth. to as mouth in the, <laughs> the thing is i don't know why maybe it's because i'd seen the movie a few times i was like okay i get sunny i get sal i get them i was just sort of paying more attention to everything else that was going yeah. on more, I think. It's like, I know this story. And so her character just popped for me this time. I more love than her. I've always before. loved her, yes. But I, I love this whole thing best. where he's going to lock him into the into the uh, vault. So, but how will we breathe? That he's going to close the gate. And Sylvia says, you can't do that. I'm going to have to go to the toilet. I <laughs> That's why I love like all these interactions mm-hmm. with them. Like you don't expect you don't expect his reaction to them like no. coming back at him because I like I think she's she yeah she tells him at one point like you know to watch his language right <laughs> and like, his these response are my girls. is yeah his response is I speak what I feel <laughs> it's like right huh. <laughs> Well, it's just he's not your typical bank robber you can you can just tell like from these early interactions like there's something there's the the, the relationships that they're building are really interesting yeah. like re- it's hard to say they're like relationships with like you know but bank they robber ha- and they hostage happen. They but happen. they do <laughs> well yeah. one of the things that i love about this part too is and sylvia and everything is Sonny says, all right, who has to go to the bathroom? And this is, all right, now they all got to go. I now they all relate to, to that so much as someone who teaches kindergarten. <laughs> as a teacher, sure. And so it was It was just like, oh, man, you can relate to this in so many walks of life, you know. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, th- where, where Sylvia just, like, scolds him, did you have a plan? It's like, yeah. young man, <laughs> did you come in here without knowing what you were going to do? I, I love the way she interacts with yeah. him. And how she's like, y- you mean you're a fucking idiot who didn't even have a plan to what you were going to do with this? You just showed just up at wake my up one day bank. and said I was going to rob a bank? Yeah, you just <laughs> yeah. wake up and say you're going to rob a bank. You, how dare you show up at my bank, threaten my girls, you know, because they're her girls, right? And, yeah, they're her girls. And uh, not know what you're going to do. I mean, it's it's very entertaining. I, I think I yes. I just loved her so much more. And then you know, she killed um, me. <laughs> oh, uh, so I I tried to write down some of the names of people. So Carol Kane plays Jenny. Jenny, who is sort of a it's a very supporting role. It's not a big role, but she's memorable, and everybody's kind of memorable. memorable in mm-hmm. this. You know, and everyone has their moment. Everyone has it's a one moment. of those movies yeah. they give. Everybody gets their little moment to shine. Yeah, I mean, I really like the manager. Um, I really like mm-hmm. uh, the guard, you know, the fact that the guard has mm-hmm. asthma and everything just sort of, you know, all these chaos things that you don't, you don't expect. You just don't know because human, every, every person is an individual and I love how they interact yeah. and how they have, you know, as the movie goes on, all these little interactions get funnier and funnier to me. You <laughs> they <know>? do. Um, <laughs> There's one part that is just my absolute favorite. Yeah. <laughs> We're getting into the, the hostage situation, but yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he's. How everything happens, they're almost out. They're almost out. But he has 
he's taken the bank's traveler's checks and set fire for some right, reason to the register. The I don't know why. Yeah. It's one of those things that, that's like, why would you do that? That tips the money off. Um, and we figure that's probably why he probably called the cops, I would say. It's the insurance guy. Yeah, oh yeah, I'm sure. But then we're introduced and, yeah, to Moretti. And then that, that shot where, right. well, that shot yeah, where the, a manager gets um, gets a phone call and he looks at Sonny and says, it's for you. And that look, uh, that exchange that they have when they yeah. realize, like, they, they were almost, they were about to leave. They were they were locking them in the vault to leave. Mm-hmm. And that's when yep. they're, they realize they're caught and they're stuck. Yeah. I love that moment. I don't love and, it for them, obviously, but it's just, it's just a good moment for their, between the characters. Just, Cause they don't have to say anything. They're just like, Oh fuck. <laughs> and I think, um, I really like Charles Durning in this movie Yeah, as Moretti. I think he's terrific. He's constantly trying to control this chaos. You know, he's, He's just like, he's almost like a, uh, you know, the little Dutch boy holding his finger in the dam throughout the whole movie. Because this whole Mm -hmm. thing he know could just explode at any moment. You know, either in the bank or outside of the bank. Because, yeah, there's, as the movie goes on, like, there's not just stuff going on inside the bank with the hostage situation. Like, the crowd outside. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. it's the crowd outside, the other cops. Like from I guess from the other like cops SWAT, the, SWAT or whatever yeah, that yeah, goes it's like there's no one in tries charge. to get into the building yeah it's like no one knows who's in charge and that's part of the problem and that's also part of the Attica reference yeah you know I think that is so famous from this movie is you know who's in charge you know if something happens who's gonna stop it and Charles Durning's like me I'm the one who has to has to stop anything from happening. And he's just desperate to do that. And you can just see, I I think the way he handles the role in this movie is, I mean, he's so powerful and he's just sort of like this, this little guy, you know, but he um, barely, so he just like barely has this authority, but somehow yeah. is just managing to grab it back, just like drag it back all the time. I saw Ugh, Sonny tough. and Moretti almost as like the same character, just yeah. on opposite sides of the story. Yes. Because Sonny at one point has a line where he's, he's like, I, I'm trying to make all of you happy. I'm trying to make like the hostages. I got to keep you fed and happy. I got to keep that guy satisfied that I'm not going to hurt anybody. Mm. I'm just trying to make everybody happy. That's what Moretti's trying to do too. Yeah. He's got to make sure everybody inside and outside is is safe and like no, that nothing goes wrong. And they're both kind of like, no, oh. they're getting it from all sides and they're both kind of slowly losing it as the day goes on. Yeah. And I tell you what, this is I, the whole hostage negotiation thing in this movie. I don't know if it's ever been done better than this. I just think that it feels so real the way it's done, you know, because everyone is screwing up. Everyone, no one really knows exactly what they're going to do. And then, you know, it gets passed off to the FBI and they're like, no, we're not doing that, that anymore. That guy is so creepy. And then, yeah, it's just. <laughs> that FBI guy is so creepy. Yeah. Um, oh, by the way, uh, this is, uh, he, he becomes more prominent towards the end. But you see your first glimpses of uh, little baby Lance Henriksen so uh, here. Cute. Uh, as he's driving very important at the very end (laughs) at the very end he becomes very important well what's funny about Lance Henriksen I don't know how old he was when he made this movie but he looks like he's at least 50 already I mean he's like one of those (laughs) (laughs) faces he's one of those faces that always looks a little wizened and a little older to me you know like John Saxon or something like that you know well more stuff just with the 
Sonny and the hostages, one of my other favorite little moments is when Carol Kane's character, Jenny, uh, gets a call from her husband. Oh, right. When are you going to be done? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and, and again, with his response, is just, oh, girly, please. <laughs> yeah, <it's> so <laughs> like, funny. wow. Well, first of all, you feel really bad for her. She has a husband. It's like that unconcerned with the fact that she's a hostage in a bank robbery. <laughs> I know. It's, I love little touches like that. The security guard has an asthma attack. It's all these little pieces of chaos that... Mm-hmm. Uh, grow and compound I, I think are so compelling and then you know he says something there's a line he says around in here you know, like we're Vietnam veterans so killing don't mean anything to us yep. which is bullshit I mean yes yeah. they are Vietnam veterans we know that's true but at the same time killing means something to them I don't think at least to at least to Sonny I'm a little Sal, you're never really sure you're never really, really sure, sure of I don't know if he would necessarily want to kill them. It'd be more like something freaks him out and he goes off. Mm, Yeah, exactly. Not an intentional wanton murder kind of thing, but just he feels like he's got a shorter fuse. And then like one of the best scenes, especially for uh, Sylvia, is -hmm. when they decide to let Howard, one of the hostages, they choose Howard, who's had an asthma attack, go. And she goes out with Sonny and him. And uh, again... Another thing that this movie brings up, because he had referenced Attica earlier. Yes. When he was talking to Mulvaney, I think. Yeah. Yeah. He's talking to, to Mulvaney, the manager, and he says um, 42. He actually gets the number wrong. It's 39. Um, it was 39. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know. 42 people were killed. Yeah. The innocent and the guilty. The innocent and the guilty. Yeah. And um, Attica, I, I've learned a little bit about it, is was a horrible, just un, unbelievably bad situation in which a prison riot was stopped by essentially shooting many and then yeah and then injuring there was a riot, many more there was an uprising mm-hmm. and a riot that went on for like four days and yeah. when the cops tried to take it back when they went yeah. in to take the prison back they they killed 39 people yeah and then what's even worse after that is is um and that was bad enough is they essentially tortured uh, several inmates after the after the fact as well it was uh, and that you know I wasn't crazy about this documentary that was on HBO Max called Betrayal at Attica but there's a section of it where it actually interviews um, some of the inmates and they talk about what happened to them and it is chilling and horrifying like the way they were punished after yeah after it was they, all over they were oh, they damn. were yeah. tortured it's and um, so it but, you know, at the same time, Attica um, is one of those things it led to the beginnings of prison reform, um, mm-hmm. which, you know, is continually something that needs to happen. Of course. I mean, I'm not saying that that has changed that has uh, gotten to where it needs to be. But there has been since Attica <laughs> some changes in that. Um, anyway, this this. So go, go ahead. I, I, I sort of took over the conversation there no that's just, that kind of sets up that's where you kind of get the mm-hmm. when he mentions attica is when you get the feeling of like maybe what the attitude maybe towards the police was like yes. at the time because at the time that this takes place that had happened like a year before yes so you get the feeling that there's the distrust uh, of police which it's like hey they're gonna shoot is, me they're gonna shoot me they, that, yeah. that's what they're doing and then he just and apparently this is one of those moments that happened on set apparently one of the um 
assistant directors actually uh, right before the take went up to Al and said, hey, you should start shouting Attica at them, Ugh, which which really which that's what I huh. that's what I heard. You know, I could be if I'm wrong about that, you know, I'm I'm wrong. But as I understand, that is what happened. That didn't even come up in rehearsal. That yeah. was that was one of those things that was on the moment and it was electrifying. And not, not only did it, you know, make the character actors playing yeah. the cops do what they were supposed to do by sort of shying away. It got the crowd riled up. Well, before when uh, before he starts with that is when, yeah, they let they let Howard out. And but the mm-hmm. police attack him and handcuff him Yep, mm-hmm. because they didn't like communicate before that they were letting one of the hostages out and Moretti like yeah. blames it on Sonny like you didn't yeah. tell us about that and I love Sylvia just like yelling at them like, like you almost killed him like she's pissed at that she's so mad it. it's like he's, he's a hostage he's a hostage he's what are you doing host- yeah yeah um well this is when Moretti tells Sonny to come out and says he tells him like come out and see what you're up against look around mm-hmm. And they have a shot where they kind of show off all the, the snipers in the buildings, yeah. you know, and you got 250 cops around here. And I, I, this is when the, the Attica thing comes in because the cops, because Sonny's outside, he's got his little white handkerchief, the little white flag that yeah. he brings out whenever he steps outside. And he's getting a little, getting a little pissed off with the cops. The cops on the side of him on the sidewalk are yeah. getting closer. He's like, and he says something like, you know, look at him, look how bad he wants to shoot me right now. Yeah. And that's when he starts yelling Attica. Mm-hmm. And it just it just very much reminded me of where we are now, honestly. <laughs> um, but at the same time, you have someone like Moretti who is genuinely trying to protect people. <laughs> you know, he's genuinely trying Everybody. to protect not only the hostages, but Sonny and Sal, too. Yeah. You know, he's continually like yelling at his own cops to like, yes, get away. You're so making him off. nervous. Stop. Yeah. It's like, I think he would be like, you know, this shouldn't be a standoff. This should not, there should be two guys here with me, not 200. Yeah, that's true. So I, I, that's kind of how I sense it. He gets there and, you know, this whole situation had already been created before he even got there, you know, and uh, it only escalated it. I mean, what would have happened? He would have gotten away with $1,100. That would have been covered by FDIC. Whereas now, what this ends up being is so much more impactful economically than $1,100. Even if you just want to talk about it in raw figures. (laughs) (laughs) He kind of blames it on himself, too. In one moment when somebody asks him, like, why did you why didn't you wait until they were out of the bank and take him then why did you call him mm. while they were still in and like force them into this hostage situation and he just says well that was that was a big mistake on my part <laughs> right and <laughs> you know i and then like sunny and sunny yelling attica he kind of makes it even worse because that ingratiates the crowd to them and mm-hmm. the crowd that the huge crowd that's been um building up you know ever since like the cops there's a, I love that shot when it's just like all the cops and all of the people watching. They're watching from the windows. They're they're gathering just all on the street. Like they're just gonna, you know, they're gonna stay there and watch like this whole thing play out. And Sonny gets them on his side and against the cops. So now Moretti has the like I was saying before, like he has the crowd to contend with as much as what's going on inside the bank. Yeah, exactly. And um, so. yeah. 
Now, <laughs> after this scene, it's really funny though, because so you have Sylvia. Oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. She's like she's like being interviewed by people on the second floor or something like that, yeah. and she's yelling <laughs> up to them. I love that. And she, and Durning's like, hey. Where are you going? Aren't you going to come out? And she's like, they're my girls. I'm going back in there. She feels a responsibility to these people. Love that. And Love her. it was that moment that made her my prop. Yeah. My favorite character um, yeah. in this movie. I like, I'd like to like, after she says that she gives like a little smile and like a acknowledgement to the crowd as she goes back in. Like she knows that she's kind of a little bit of a star there now. <laughs> Cause as soon as she gets back in, she's like, girls, I was interviewed. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, I mean, even Sonny, he got a taste of that too. And when uh-huh. he started, when the crowd started cheering for him, yeah. he's just eating that up. I mean, that, he's getting a charge out of that clearly. And uh, <laughs> then of course, I, this is just a momentary exchange, but it's very funny is where he asks, uh, Sonny asks Sal what country he wants to go to. And he says, Wyoming. Wyoming. It's kind of sweet. And um, it is. <laughs> you know, I just love that part. And that's the I thing like about this the, movie. The ending. news. Yeah. Sorry. What? No, I was going to say what I love about one of the things. All the things I love about this movie the most, I think, are those exchanges, are those yeah. moments sort of in between the big moments. Yeah. Those are some of my favorite little parts, mm-hmm. is, uh, is the little character interactions. I like how, um, the, oh, this is when the news calls him and he has like a little live interview Sonny does on the air. It's kind of funny. And he like curses and they like immediately cut him off. Right. This whole time you're kind of realizing too, because Sonny has just been such a major player. Like you almost kind of forget about Sal sometimes. He's been so quiet and so not as involved. And they have this little conversation where they kind of go off together. Um, I like this exchange between the two of them because Sal um, is very scared. He doesn't want to go back to prison, he says. Mm -hmm. And he kind of reveals that their initial plan was that if they didn't get away clean, that they were going to kill themselves. Ah. Yeah. And he's like, promise, you know, you know, promise that we're still going to do that. Right. Because he's yeah, that he is he's scared and he seems very he does have that that scary thing about him that we mentioned. But he also is very childlike sometimes. You know, he talks about going to he Wyoming is. and he's never he's never been on a plane. He's scared of going on mm-hmm. a plane. This is just a, One this thing, is a good moment. Good moment for John Cazale. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think it's, there's some just interesting choices, like obviously it's getting hotter. Mm-hmm. And so Sonny, you know, he's. Yeah, he's taken off his jacket. He's his ties off. His shirts open. Sal the whole time, jacket on, buttoned yep. up, tie all the way up. Not a bead of sweat on his forehead until yeah. like way later on in yeah. the movie. <laughs> yeah, gosh, it, and everyone else is just mm-hmm. dying, you know. Yeah, and I I think that is one of those great character moments, character elements that um, remains there. It tells you, I don't know what exactly, but it it just gives you this, um, he's not going to change his mind or something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, whatever it tells us, it's compelling somehow. I think, uh, I mean, we don't have to hit every character beat. I okay. mean, you know, like he gets um, tackled by Maria's boyfriend and <laughs> it's, <laughs> That's it's funny. Um, but uh, Oh God, one of my favorite things, this is ahead. when... Um, this is one of my favorite little things that's run runs throughout the movie is that there's a person that keeps like crank calling the bank. I wrote this down. 
literally one of my favorite parts in the whole movie. Um, he calls like a couple of times and he says like, yeah, kill them all. <laughs> At one point, like it's way later in the day. This is like way later on. But um, he calls again and Sonny answers the phone and says, oh, it's just it's him again. And he just hands the phone to the girls, <laughs> a couple of the bank tellers, so, so they can listen. <laughs> and they're so like, oh, my gosh. What's he? Because he's saying, like, gross things, obviously. But they were, they were listening with, like, such glee. Just another one of those, like, it's a, such a weird relationship that they've established. And like, they you'd be like, oh, you want to hear this. They start yeah. heavy breathing over the phone. It's so funny. It's oh, so funny. Man. Well, and then uh, the... Uh, Big important thing is Sonny asked for his wife to be brought downtown. Yep. Okay, so, but then it cuts to Sonny's wife, Angie, and kids talking to the police, you know, and she's like, it's not him. His body functions might have done it, but he himself didn't do it. I mean, that's the line that she gives. And I. This is a weird line. It's a weird line, but I think she's like, he is incapable of robbing a bank. There's no way um, that he could have done even though, that. Even though she mentions seeing a gun in the glove compartment of yeah. their car. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's all sorts of stuff that goes on here that is really interesting. Just I, the part where they find out that the cops are coming in through the back door, so Sonny shoots out mm-hmm. the window, and there's just like this. It's the only time in the movie there was like this massive, like really quick succession of shots. It's cut like really really fast um it's like inside the bank outside the bank reaction yeah. screaming crowd running the cops ducking all this stuff happening on and then Durning just sort of in the middle of all of that you know just starts yelling at at everyone to basically calm the fuck down and yeah. the and and the shots slow down again when he when they're on him it's like it's almost like he is willing calm to return, you know, in that moment. And I, that's one of the things I really love about, well, I mean, Lumet as a filmmaker, just sort of underscoring the characters with his cutting and with his, just the way he is shots and everything. And you see this all the way back to 12 angry men. Everything is not even necessarily in, not necessarily for the story, though that becomes part of it. It's for the characters it underscores the characters that's the most important thing to lumet in any of his movies it seems to me more than plot or anything else it's who are these people yeah and how do their interactions affect uh, the world around them and what happens i think that is what really works for me throughout this that's why i really like it too because I I was intrigued to watch this movie because of the plots of a bank robbery and I love crime movies, mm-hmm. but it's not that at all. No. And there is a lot of stuff that goes on and a lot of people involved, but it's still uh, throughout the whole movie uh, still feels like a very quiet movie to me mm-hmm. in that way because it's so much more focused on the characters, more about the characters than it is about really what's what's going on. And it's, like it's with not the a use heist movie or anything. Yeah, it's not a heist movie. And the use of no the choice not to use any music of always like one of my favorite things. I love when movies do that. And I love how it kind of just kind of forces you to focus on like just the little things. Like I don't know why, like one of my favorite shots was like was earlier, like when Sonny had has set the register on fire. Yeah. 
there's a couple of shots where he's running back and forth like behind behind the bank and to the door you can you can hear every little footstep you can you can hear him slide as he like yep. stops and like turns I, I don't know why i loved that it really focused on that yeah this time i loved the, the style of the telling the story was the perfect way to do it yeah because the real life story was unlike any other kind of robbery that or heist thing that the cops had seen before because of the the main guy's motivation for mm-hmm. um, committing the robbery, which is coming up here pretty soon. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we'll find out. I like the pizza guy, the pizza guy part. Too. Yeah. I love this. Um, I love how Sonny pays for it. Yeah. You know, he wants, to, he tries to pay for it. Yeah. He tries to pay for it. Then he starts throwing the money around to the crowd who just eat it up. They're just, it's like, he thinks he's Robin hood or something. Um, Getting the crowd more and more mm-hmm. on his side. Yeah. Um, and then, oh, know, I liked too when Moretti is calling for him the bullhorn, and the the crowd is mocking him. Yeah, you can hear. I love they're that. repeating that's everything a, he says. Yeah, that's yeah. Funny. Here's one of the things that I like is back inside. There's a f- longer sequence, really, of inside the bank where, first of all, um, <laughs> with Sylvia, yeah, he's show, showing the bank teller how to use the uh, and no, that not even before that where Sonny is showing one of them how to do like the marine drill oh presenting arms yeah Yeah. (laughs) and we're doing like the kicks and stuff i love that it's like this is the weirdest relationship that Mm -hmm. they have formed there's something about sunny that kind of like they like and sort of draws Mm -hmm. them to him somehow to his side i mean even when um the manager says mulvaney right says Mm -hmm. why did you have to come into my bank you know, mm-hmm. a little later on, it's it's still it's not hateful. It's just like yeah. you really fucked up my day, dude. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's, that's almost how it feels. But but this whole thing is like Sylvia's like, I I want a cigarette. I want a cigarette. She's like, I, but you don't smoke. It's like, ah, I don't care. What does it matter? Then Sal says, um, no, I don't smoke. He's like, well, why don't why is that? He says, because the body is the temple of the Lord. <laughs> um so you take care of your body but you rob a bank whatever yeah Yeah. it's like so you're she's like whatever give me a cigarette she's like you're a hypocrite is is what you're doing you are missing the you are you are looking at the speck in my eye without taking the plank out of your own to use a biblical term i guess but it's like um you are a bigger hypocrite than me (laughs) is what she's saying um and then you know they find out you say says charles durning says uh hey we are bringing out your wife is here your wife is here and then this is an hour into the movie yeah we finally find out his motivation i like that it was kind of a it's a misdirect it's a misdirect yeah, yeah. i couldn't think of the word yeah, yeah. They, they show, show angie, angie first like, yeah but then who he really called who he really wanted to be brought to him was leon played yeah. by Chris Sarandon. Chris Sarandon. Um, in, um, I think, and, he, you know, some of our transgender friends, I would be interested in hearing their take on this, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, f- to me, Sarandon's performance comes across as very sympathetic um, uh, yeah. and, and very um, authentic. And it's it's respectful. Yeah. Is, is It doesn't I come across so. as, as mocking. The reactions, I think, are there authentic, are, there too. There is mocking... There is mocking, but it's not by from the people in the movie. But it's, but not, it's not from the, the filmmakers. No, it's not the. It's filmmaker. not the portrayal that is mocking. Mm-mm. 
It's not the portrayal yeah. of him. It's not his performance. It's from the other characters, you know, simply because of the time. Well, and simply you know? because, you know, there are still people who feel that way and still, and still say those way. kinds yeah. kinds of that way. It's, and I think it's, it's interesting. It's better they now, even, but... They even, yeah, it is. Yeah. But, you know, I think there's an interesting that later on in the movie, they even bring out, you know, some protesters, you know, out of the closet mm-hmm. into the streets, you know, who are backing Sonny. I think that is a, a interesting... And every And the Lumet just depicts it there's no judgment of the characters really at all that i can there's maybe there's like three little instances there's one part where when the cops first bring leon and i don't know how to what's the right way to refer to leon Mm -hmm. because uh leon is a trans woman hasn't the reason sunny yeah hasn't transitioned yet the reason that sunny sunny refers to him as was yeah, um, he's presenting as a cis man, and he's still going by Leon. So I don't know if we call him he or she. So if we get that wrong, I don't. I like. I don't know. Like he's not really given. Leon's not given a choice. Like of how he, right. he wants what pronouns he wants to use. So yeah. I. I guess I'll just use he because I don't know. <laughs> I believe. No, I think that'd be wrong. I believe point, he, because. He, I believe that Leon is going by he in this moment still. Um, that that seems to be the case, and so obviously, you know, I don't know for we sure, can't yeah. ask him. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, <laughs> can't ask the character. Yeah, but okay, yeah. There was when he's being brought into the barber shop where the yeah. uh, across the street where the police have set up. Uh, one of the cops says, "Oh my god, like he's a queer." Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. Wow. Which which I Big think world. is not it's not the filmmakers though saying that. Yeah, exactly. It's, no, I know. It's, but it's, it's a it feels like an action uh, something that is just like depicting what someone even now mm-hmm. I'm a, sorry to say would say. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, totally. Mm-hmm. And then the one that I I kind of like the way that it's done in a way even though it's mocking him um, is when it's such a great performance yeah by Chris Randon when he's he's kind of telling it's surrounded by cops mm-hmm. in this barbershop like telling his story like that's got to be yeah so hard to do yeah but uh, Moretti is so sympathetic to him in, in that moment and like letting him talk there's one point where when he says something about how you know he talked to the psychiatrist and told him that he was a woman trapped in a man's body like a cop like Snickers yeah Mm-hmm. behind him and you can and it, it still holds on his but it's like he's out of focus and it's still it's yep. focused on leon's face yes, and absolutely. his reaction to that and you get the sense perfect, that moretti like, moretti's like shut up yeah you know, exactly you, you you don't he doesn't even say it but you you get the impression that moretti's just mm-hmm. like shut the fuck up yeah exactly i like yeah. that it, it's it holds on his face you see his reaction you see the hurt mm-hmm. from that that laugh yep but it no, this is his story. Let him tell his story. Like, yeah, I love that, mm-hmm. and I love yeah. the way that Sonny deals with it too. When it co- when this the story comes out, and they're just he's just like, yeah, so and like mm-hmm. this is my life. Exactly. This is who, exactly. this is who I'm in love with. Yeah. The only Sal has a problem with you know him also being referred to as a homosexual on the news, which yeah. is like, eh. You suck for that. But well, uh, Sonny the, is completely, there's no, yeah. there's no embarrassment. There's no, yeah. the, the, the portrayal of their relationship, Sonny and Leon's relationship is amazing to me in this movie. Mm-hmm. And like you said, like, I don't know if, if trans people now would see, see this as a good representation or not. I, I kind of do. I mean, obviously I don't have the same perspective, but mm-hmm. I, the way I'm seeing it, I'm seeing it as it, these are just two people in love and there's no judgment and there's no, 
embarrassment on mm-hmm. their part. They're just kind of like they're very in love. The way they the way that Sunny and uh, Leon talk to each other, I love yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, I, it's it's just it's the depiction of a relationship. It's not. Yeah. Yeah, it's really the way it's presented in the film, and I mm-hmm. it's I I can't think of a movie that you know before a certain time, I should say that does that like this movie does i just don't i can't think of anything in 1975 and it's open about it i mean it's like amazing obviously there are subtextual versions of that kind of relation like like we in rope for example Mm -hmm. but um here i mean it's very explicitly stated and discussed it's not swept under the carpet in any way at the same time, I don't think, like I've said, I it's it comes across to me as being a depiction of of two people who love each other is what it ultimately comes down to. So, um, and I always have been like, wow, that's nineteen seventy five. Yeah, that's you know that <laughs> anyway. So that's that's where my head was has always been with this movie, and just the way the characters themselves again when when it comes out like there's no shame from them there's a whole thing yeah. on the news where they they're they're watching the new the hostages and sunny are watching the whole new a whole new story like telling this part of his life and he's just like yeah there it mm-hmm. is and there's no reaction from anybody in the bank nobody says a word right about it i love that yeah because they like him i think they've accepted him now yeah it's just <laughs> I, that's pretty clear i mean and be it and that's the thing you know when you know an individual Mm -hmm. makes a big difference for people. Right. You know, I think that's one of the things is that sort of changes. I don't think anything changes a mind or a heart more than just knowing a person and liking them, (laughs) you know, Um, is is that is, you know, I don't know. I just don't like the the Sal being so the the gay panic from Sal about not wanting to be referred to as homosexual. And Sonny says to him, like whatever they say, it doesn't yeah. matter. Yeah, I know, and and that's and I guess what I'm trying to say is I'm fine with it being in the movie, though. Oh, be- I know because because I think it again, you know, depiction does not. I know mean you, it's condoned you <laughs> know, just, by the film. It's right. just it's just like it. See, it feels like the reaction that that character would have, you know. Um, yeah, and it's interesting, and obviously he he's the thing. The thing is, he he seems to be fine with Sonny. He's like, uh, yeah, you know that that's that's one of the things that is interesting about that. It's like he likes Sonny. He's his friend. You know, he's known him for a long time. You know, um, he's pulling the bank job with him. He probably knows why Sonny is doing it, and he almost yeah. says it to him like in a sensitive way. I don't mean to offend you, but I don't want to be. <laughs> you know, you know what I mean. Yeah. It's 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 a very strange, and again, that's sort of the genius of John Cazale in the role to mm-hmm. be honest well I just can't help that that stings a little bit but yeah I know I know that it doesn't no, no I get I, oh, I totally understand yeah. I, I yeah and I'm not trying to play that off either just yeah. anyway but uh, I yeah okay I wanted to talk about this because I was talking to you about like Leon and Sonny's relationship as much as I like it. It does kind of confuse me <laughs> still just because of the things that Leon says about Sonny. And yeah, you were explaining it pretty well. Well, I think that they met and fell in love and married um, at a time when, you know, Sonny, uh, we've seen how drawn to people Sonny is. Okay. And I think, okay, I know it's skipping a couple of plot points, but um, 
if we can the the conversation with Leon directly mm-hmm. to the conversation with Angie, I think really illustrates all this for me. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah. and and that is talking with Leon, and um, we've seen how people are drawn to him. Uh, I think there's real affection in their conversation. Oh, yeah, and, but totally. at the same time saying, I've been trying to get away with from you. And But we have also seen what happens to Sonny when he gets under pressure, okay? Mm-hmm. He gets very difficult to be around. He gets scary. And I think that is illustrated when he switches the call over to Angie and he just kind of tells her to shut up, will you? You know, mm-hmm. shut up and listen to me for a minute. You know, he just explodes on her, but then pulls back, right? And she says, the, the whole thing that she says, oh gosh, let me find it here. It's like, um, you hurt me. You, did I do something wrong? I know I let myself, I let, get, myself, I let myself get fat. And, and, and he's like, don't say that about yourself. Yeah. Stop mm-hmm. that. Don't say that about yourself. And it had nothing to do with that or anything like that. He's kind of sweet to her too. I think, you know, who knows how long he's been. He apparently became obsessed with, you know, so that Leon can get his, uh, we would call it now a gender affirmation uh, surgery in that time. They call it, you know, sex change. Uh, So in the film, it's referred to in that way, but he, he becomes obsessed with being able to pay for that surgery. And he knows that the only way he can do it is by stealing it because he's on welfare. He doesn't have consistent work. There's a recession going on. Um, (laughs) All kinds of tough stuff. Because Leon is is there. The cops have picked him up from Bellevue because Leon, apparently from talking to a psychiatrist, found out that he was getting so depressed. uh, I think so. He tried to kill himself. Yeah, because he doesn't think he he'll be able to get the surgery because it costs so much, and so you feel that Sonny is is doing it to save Leon. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think so for sure. But then because, Leon, yeah. but then Leon talking to the cops before he talks to Sonny on the phone. Leon talking to the cops about his relationship with Sonny. It's like all these terrible things that <laughs> Sonny did, yeah, like tr- tried to kill him. And so that's why it, it confuses me. <laughs> if it's just, well, I think that if it's just the pressure that causing it's causing Sonny to lash out. But then, like, why would you want to be with somebody like that? That's scary <laughs> to me. But I'm not gonna make judgments on anybody's yeah, relationship. Well, I, I mean, don't know. <laughs> it's but there's but probably something more there. It's Leon that's trying to get away from yeah Sonny, I mean. and Sonny is seems to be sort of desperate to hold on to. Kind of yeah. both of these relationships, you know, it's it's very interesting. And I, I imagine it doesn't really talk about it that much. I mean, the pressure of living a double life, you know, trying to provide for mm-hmm. two families, two relationships like this. And knowing that if he gets caught, I mean, he's taken alive. I mean, that's a major that's a felony. So he's going to prison mm-hmm. for a long time or he's going to be dead. You know, I mean, it, it's there's. I, I, so who knows how long he's been planning this whole thing and what all of that has meant to his um, his mental health over yeah. however long this has been. You know, has it been a year that they start been thinking about this? You know, who knows? It's hard to say because <laughs> we know that Leon tried to leave him, what, six months before or something like that. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, um, they've been together yeah. at least that long. Mm-hmm. And he's not, yeah. Sonny doesn't even really seem too concerned with hiding his double life either. <laughs> oh, no. No, not at this point. I mean, because Angie knew about this, right? Angie I and think his, Andy and, knew, and, and his mother. And his mother knew. So um, mm-hmm. they, both of them, when they talk, it's like, oh, uh, yeah. It's like, was I just not attractive enough for you is essentially what Angie's <laughs> saying. Quote, unquote, did I, quote, unquote, turn you gay? You know, <laughs> you know, you know what I mean? Uh, the the, yeah. the things that people unfortunately say. But I mean, it's yeah. it's different than that. So, oh, gosh, it's it's. It's very raw emotionally during those phone yeah, calls. That's such a great performance from him. The way that um, Lumet shoots uh, Leon as well is, uh, you know, it just he's just sort of sitting in the corner. You almost don't even see where he is at first. It's like, and, yeah. and then and then mm-hmm. he just kind of pulls around slowly. Uh, that's so just, uh, it's it's really masterfully done. And you can just see, like from Pacino's side, you can see like the difference between those those phone calls um the way he he talks to leon versus the way that he talks to angie he's at this point you know it's very late in this whole situation he's he's sweaty he's frustrated he's desperate all around and this is the scene where i think um pacino said like he had he had done it perfectly like in one take like he did like they didn't split up you know like the shooting of the phone calls like he did it one take and then immediately he had to go back and do it again even though he did it perfectly. And so that just kind of like added to his performance, added to the the frustration that he gets with Angie at the end when he's like yelling at her and hangs up on her. Yeah. It got, it got the best performance out of him, even though that was probably <laughs> that look on his you know, face when he's, when his eyes go wide and he's just like, uh, <laughs> you can tell that's coming like both from the character and from the actor. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, but actors really like to work with Sidney Lumet though. Yeah. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but. (laughs) Also, as I recall, he would allow actors, if they let him know ahead of time and they were like, if they really felt like they needed to see, he would let them come to dailies just so they Mm -hmm. would feel confident enough in what they were doing. He didn't encourage it. You know, it wasn't like Robert Altman where it was like a party. Hey, come on over and let's watch the dailies kind of thing. But it was. I can't remember exactly, but it was just like if if someone wanted to, and I think Al Pacino was one of those people who would, at first at least, want to see how they were doing, you know. Mm. Um, but then some would be like, nah. Like Paul Newman was like, nah. <laughs> I don't want to say that. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't remember what it is. It's sort of all put out in the book in a wonderful way. So, But I think that Lumet really does get these incredible performances, so these memorable mm-hmm moments of just pure authenticity in so many of his films. And I, this is one of the quintessential examples of that. I mean, for me, you know, maybe this phone call scene is up there in Lumet's um, sort of actor shooting filmography with, you know, like Ned Beatty's, you have fooled with the the movable laws of nature, Mr. Beale. You know, the, the, the Ned Beatty sequence from Network, you know. But it's hard to say. These are just, it's just great stuff and just mm-hmm. so beautifully done. Then you have the side characters too, like Mulvaney, who he tells him to leave and he's like, I'm not going to go. If he has this diabetic attack, he tells him to mm-hmm. go to the hospital. Go, go, go. And he says, I'm not going to go. 
I really like those things. Oh, there's one point, too, where Mulvaney, like, curses at him. And he makes a point to stop yes. and apologize to the ladies for his language. And they just laugh at him. Like, they laugh it off. And Bitch, they says, you know you know what we've been through today? <laughs> yeah. I love when, they, when, they, when it's like, so my ears are not garbage cans. I'm a Christian and my ears are not garbage cans. I know. But you kind of get the, the hint from the rest of the ladies when he says that. It's like, you know what we've been through today? You think we care about hearing the word fuck? Like, yeah, come on. <laughs> but, you know, another great scene is, is um, Sonny's dictation of the will to Sylvia with um, Mulvaney kind of sitting there. Yeah. And he's just, he, he gives part of his life Lumet insurance said that's the to, reason he wanted to do the movie. Is it? They wanted to take that scene out and he was like, no, that's so important. That's why I wanted to do the movie. He says, um, where to my wife, Leon. Uh, my darling my wife, My darling wife, Leon. Leon. And he says, who is the, the man I love more than any man has ever loved a man. Who, who, yeah, who, who, I, who, I, who I love more than more. any other man has, has, has loved a man. Yeah. But then, you know, right after that, he gives another part to Angie. I mean, he's yeah. it's it's like and he he's loves just as much as devoted to both of these mm-hmm. people. And again, Pacino's performance is uh, it's so sincere. Yeah, there's not there's not a bit where you don't believe it or that it feels like it's a joke or something no. like that at any moment. That's uh, very important too. Yes, Leon Leon never feels like a joke. No. Their relationship never feels like a joke. Nope. And that's incredibly important that it was it was portrayed that way. Yeah, I and agree. Especially, um, I like how Chris Sarandon described uh, the way his performance when he was told um, a little less uh, Blanche Dubois, a little more Queen's housewife. That's <laughs> how he ended up portraying. Right. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> I was like, that's, that's kind of perfect. <laughs> You can totally hear that in, in his voice. Yeah. But no, the, none, none of them are ever a joke. And his everybody's feelings are real. And again, I love that there's no shame or embarrassment when he says any of those things to these people that, yes, he's built a relationship with, you know, the, even the, being his hostages. Um, but... Again, for the the time period, I'm just I, I like the way that that again, that, yeah, it's it's real and it's sincere, mm-hmm. and you believe him. Yeah, I mean, let's put it this way. Okay, the language has evolved, yes. but the I think the sincerity and sentiment remains the same. You know, yeah. I don't think there's anything that has changed there really. Mm-hmm. Okay, so then we kind of uh, head on our the wheels get on there, and we just we just fly towards the ending here. Um, now, there's a line earlier where the FBI agent says, don't worry, Sonny, we'll take care of Sal. Okay, how creepy is this FBI agent? Like, yeah. when he first when he first shows up, he's walking toward, when they're talking, when he first meets this guy, what's his name? Um, oh, Sheldon. No. Sheldon, yeah. Uh, when, the, when he first shows up, he's walking toward him very slowly. Like, he's coming out of the darkness, like, towards mm-hmm. Sunny, like, the way that's shot. He looks so creepy, and the way he talks, he's so, he's that FBI guy, so he's very cool, calm, collected, trying yeah. to keep the situation calm, but it's coming across as very sinister. It does, and, you know, he's also like, we're not negotiating anymore, essentially. Mm-hmm. We're not giving you any more stuff. That's all over is what he says. And uh, he says something yeah. about how we'll handle Sal. Yes. Which, you know, is chilling. 
like you said, uh-huh. I mean, he's he's frightening, you know. And when the transport vehicle's brought down and, you know, he's sort of joking around with the driver <laughs> yeah. and... Checking um, out, the checking things out inside the vehicle, talking with like the driver. I saw you. I know you. You know, he's coming across <laughs> as, I'm your buddy. And uh, nope. pretty Sonny's soon like, he figures out, get out of here, cop. cop. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Exactly. That moment is great. Um, he's like, I love that. And then Lance Henriksen. Again, showing um, off how smart he is. Yeah. He's, he knows what's going on. But part of me wonders if they were counting on him figuring it out, you know, so that they could get, so. uh, yeah, Agent Murphy in there, you know, played by Lance Henriksen there. Um, it's hard to say, you know, either way, I mean, I they kinda, would have had a cop. I kind of think seat. so. Yeah. That they, they secret, maybe secretly wanted Murphy there Yeah, instead. Because Murphy comes across as very, very calm. I mean, he's almost like the Terminator in this. Uh, <laughs> you know, he's not going <laughs> to lose. Of. He's not going <laughs> to lose his cool. Uh, I don't think. Um, and I don't think that the the original driver would either. I, you know, you they show him in a shot later where he's sort of, you know, no longer dressed in the <laughs> in the mm-hmm. coveralls and he's just in the suit there. And he looks very, yeah. you know, that same sort of all business kind of situation as well. But. <sighs> This, the drive, you know, they, they kind of come out in this this phalanx, you know, where they're surrounded, all the hostages are surrounding <laughs> them and they sort of shuffle over to the car and around on the count of three, they all get in and they all jump into the car. Really good stuff. Um, and then they Murphy keeps on reminding him and say, hey, Sal, keep the gun pointed <laughs> up. We could hit a bump and you'll shoot me. Yep. But he's what he's really, he has other things in mind here of course yes. too but i then they get to the airport there's like yeah. a really long shot of the plane just like turning yeah i think it's a really it's, long but like a, lulling you into like everything's gonna be okay now right are We're they here. gonna get We're away at the airport. with it yeah yeah are they gonna get away with it because you know sal uh sorry sunny searched the car um to make sure didn't that there any, weren't any weapons didn't find in any there. guns he didn't find any guns I, then this little moment between Ro- uh, Maria, where she gives Sal her rosary, you know, since you've never been on a plane before, you know, um, mm-hmm. I this will this will help calm you down. This will uh, it's just sort of like this, but knowing the ending, having seen yeah. this on a multiple times, it's like it's it's, it's <laughs> yeah. very sad and very poignant. But boy, does he move quick at the end there, you know. Damn. When he pulls down <laughs> the armrest and exposes the gun, he shoots Sal in the forehead and then holds the gun up to Sonny's head. Another point where there's a lot arrested, of quick yeah. cuts. Yeah. All of that happens yes. like so fast. And then all of a sudden- It all like, happens so fast, yeah. And then, yeah, it just kind of ends outside of the car. Mm-hmm. Sonny. They don't shoot Sonny. I don't know why they don't shoot Sonny too. I think again, I mean, it's like, it's like if we're going to have a choice of who we're going to take out because the, they take his gun. They're not able to take Sal's gun, you know. Because he's in the they're back able, seat, yeah. Yeah, they're able to They're able to pull Sonny's gun away from him. Um, they're not able to do that with Sal. And it was like, you have one shot, you know. I think, that, I think that's why that choice is made. Whether it's the right one, though, I don't think the movie judges. It's just yeah. like, it is what it is. That's kind of what the whole movie is. It is what it is. You know, it's, there's no comment. It's just showing these events, you know, Um, (laughs) they saw Sal as the unpredictable one. They knew it. Yeah. I think they knew him as the one that he could shoot up the whole car. Mm -hmm. I mean, in any situation, 
where you have to make a decision like that, it's a bad decision, you know? Yeah. There's, there's no, there's no right choice in how you deal with that. I don't think entire, I mean, there's, there's no way that comes out good for everybody. I don't think, which is sad. It's just sad. It's just and, and you know both both endings are very sad. Yeah. This one is maybe slightly less because at least Sunny lives, <laughs> but um, mm-hmm. and so. like how, again, even after that, it's still it's still very quiet. It's still like just them slowly like wheeling his body away and arresting Sunny and Sunny yeah. crying, watching him, and just the look yeah. on his face. It's just it holds on that for so long. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, and and we find out at the end here, you know, that uh, that he was sent to, Sonny went to prison, um, and was it twenty years? He was sentenced to twenty years. In real life, sentenced he didn't to twenty years. He didn't serve that long. Okay, and then um, it Leon uh, is living as a woman in New York, I, I think uh, they said, and then uh, Angie and the kids are on welfare, <laughs> uh, so their situation hasn't really changed all that much um so it's it's a poignant movie i think it remains very relevant and compelling in several ways it's still very relevant today yeah you think of the quote-unquote this movie doesn't age well i i think this one does a pretty (laughs) good job yeah you know i mean mean, in some ways sure again again with the language and yeah but i mean it's also a depiction of events that happened in 1971 you know, sure. I mean, so, I mean, this is even a period piece for <laughs> when it was made as, you know, anyway, I, I just, yeah, this movie, every time I watch it, I'm just sort of like blown away by it all over again. It's just so compelling still all the way through again, like one of my favorite kind of things, few characters in one location, there is action, but it's not so much focused on that. You're focused on the characters and their relationships and I don't know. I, I've always loved the way that this one played out, and it's still so. And I think if anybody who had never even heard of this movie, they watch it today, it would still be. It's very unexpected. It's not what you expect from again a, a heist movie, a robbery no. movie. It's not that. No, there are characters that you love. Sylvia is still like my favorite. She's amazing. But Sonny and the way that he reacts to everything is so much different than you would expect, and that just yeah. makes it more interesting. Like still, I have, I've watched it several times, and I'm I'm still like wanting to go back, and it's like, well, maybe there's something more I can figure out. I st- I'm still trying to figure out uh, his relationship with Leon entirely. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. I mean, and that's but. one of the things that's nice. I mean, relationships are real and messy in this movie too, and I like that. Yeah. Um, you know, but anyway, I don't know if, if I you have want to know some of the real that, story. But, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, just if you want to know some of the real story, uh, it's. Kind of the same. I don't know the real guy's name, John something. He was a little upset at some of the ways that some of it was portrayed because he had actually left his his wife like years before he met the other person who's um, actually Elizabeth um, Eden uh, was her name before they were even married. Like so that whole thing with the. Okay. Both of it happened concurrently. <laughs> with yeah. both of them. Ha- yeah. At the same time, that didn't actually happen. And one kind of thing that i liked was that you know he did go to jail i think he only went to jail for a few years actually but the the money that he got from selling the rights for this movie he did give to elizabeth eden for her surgery oh okay 
but they didn't they didn't end up together right it kind of implies that even at the end of the film yeah. here kind of like that phone call almost feels like they're saying goodbye to each other it does mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i mean i don't know if sunny expects to survive and even if yeah. he does he's kind of like i'm gonna be in what algeria and he wants to go to <laughs> algeria because there's a howard johnson's there <laughs> is I, that what he says, that's what he says. That. There's, there's a howard johnson's there <laughs> Which I think is just the best reason ever. You know, I just, I, I know the name of this hotel. So I'm going to, that's where I'm going to live when I move uh, to this country I know nothing about. And again, Sylvia's reaction to that when he says, when he's like, okay, we're all going to, we're all going to leave. We're all going to get out of the country. You're like, you want to go to Algeria? And she's like, sure, Algeria. <laughs> I love the way she says that. <laughs> well, and then, then they're talking about what, what are you going to tell? It's like, well, you know, in Holland, um, they're nice people there. You know, they they uh, <laughs> they protected people during the war. <laughs> yeah, you know, I thought that was really good. They like hid people during the war. <laughs> No, they're really nice people in Holland. Maybe you should go there. Um, it's very, very entertaining. Good stuff. I mean, just so many great things like that throughout the. I yeah. mean, they're. It's just watch the movie kind of thing. It just. Yeah. And it's one thing that's great about so many '70s movies is that is tapestry. It's texture. It's not just tell the plot, 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 plot. You know. It's so. watch the movie. Feel these moments. Feel yeah. the moments between the characters. Mm-hmm. I love it. And There's they so work. And it's little not, things to pick up on. And it's know. not boring, though. You know? No. It's, and that's, it's that's the boring. thing. I think some people people are like, oh, I'm going to watch a character-driven movie. That's, you know, code for boring. It's like, it's really not when I, you have someone like Sidney Lumet behind the camera and you have uh, actors like these in front of it. It's not boring <laughs> in any yeah. This movie has never been boring to me. I've seen it several times. Never bored by that. I'm always fascinated by this movie. Yeah. Because, I mean, the plot clips along. Don't get me wrong. But, I mean, it just has enough space in it where you get to really know who these people are. I love that. All right. All right. Wrap up time. Wrap up time. So, um, recommendations. Mine is related to Gun Crazy. So I'm going to go ahead and mention um, um, there's a there's a movie that came to mind while we were talking about it. That is Trumbo uh, starring Brian Cranston as Dalton Trumbo that came out a few years ago. Um, Maybe that's where I know that name from. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's a pretty good movie. Um, I think it's uh, it's worth a look. It's got, you know, Otto Preminger as a character in it. So that's always fun. Nice. And, you know, uh, it's, it's sort of, you know, fifties Hollywood, um, kind of movie, fifties, sixties. And then related to that also is, uh, the book that Kirk Douglas wrote about, um, the making of Spartacus and the breaking of the black list is very interesting. It's called, I am Spartacus. I actually read, I'm sorry. I listened to the audiobook, which was read by Michael Douglas. I really like listening to audiobooks. Sometimes when it's something like that, he just kind of captures his dad's voice really well, I think, in reading that. Um, I remember enjoying both quite a bit. So, Okay. My recommendation is just a movie that I watched that I really love that you recommended to me. Oh. Thank you very much. Yeah, because you mentioned It was this. me? Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, you mentioned this before and you said you liked it. And I liked the way that you described it because it's, it's I'm talking about The Wolf of Snow Hollow from 2020. Because I remember asking you, 
so it's werewolves, huh? And you were like, yeah. (laughs) 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 That kind of got me like, okay, well, now I got to figure out what that means. Um, I absolutely loved this movie. Loved, loved, loved this movie. I didn't, hadn't really just thought about how I was going to talk about it, but yeah, it's just, it's a s- isolated, you know, snowy town. Um, Jim Cummings, who also, he wrote it, right? Mm-hmm. He wrote and directed wrote it. and directed it, yep. He's um, like the son of the sheriff, um, Robert Forster, his last um, film role. So, there, <laughs> I don't know, I just, his performance just absolutely killed me. Jim Cummings is yeah. hilarious hilarious yeah uh, you know the whole thing about him being a recovering (laughs) alcoholic and stuff is really handled well it's 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 both um it lends itself to some of the humor but it's also handled compassionately too i think yeah yeah it's like very dark humor going on his it's just you can feel again a similar thing with with this character you can just feel the, the frustration like that he has throughout the whole movie like that he like projects onto everybody it's like it's kind of awful the way he talks to some people but it's also hilarious <laughs> yeah he's a recovering alcoholic he's got you know problems with his daughter and his ex he's trying to you know his his father is his health is worsening and he's trying to you know get him to retire or whatever so he doesn't have to worry about him anymore plus there's all these murders that are happening yep <laughs> that look like that they're from an animal a wolf of some kind possibly. i don't want to say anything more than that but uh, it's just know that it is very very well shot very well acted um those two characters alone should be enough to get you yep. into this but there's also ricky lindholm who i always i like seeing her she's amazing uh, just it's just it's, it was such a blast to watch this movie it put me in such a good mood and it's got an awesome new take um on werewolves yes. <laughs> yeah i appreciated that about it too yeah i did too. Yeah. i gave it five stars because i was like this is just so much fun i i had a ball with this movie yeah definitely i sort of second that i loved i really like this movie a lot too so Okay, so what is coming up next time? Next time is an episode that kind of came out of, I think, my obsession with a particular movie yes. <laughs> for the moment. <laughs> because I I rewatched a movie that I really loved and I really wanted to talk about. And we came up with a topic from that, which is actor directorial debuts. So my pick, the movie that I became, I, I decided, for some reason, I decided to watch, um, it's 2018, right? Yes. Star is Born? Yeah, 2018. Uh, I decided to rewatch A Star is Born because I hadn't seen it since I first saw it. And God, I just fell in love with this movie again. So um, yeah, we're going to talk about A Star is Born for my pick. Bradley Cooper. Bradley Cooper's yeah. directorial debut. Yeah. Now my directorial debut is something I revisited a little earlier this year and went, Oh, shit. I haven't seen this in a long time. I hadn't seen it in probably 20 years. It just celebrated its 20th anniversary uh, at the end of this last year. And that is the directorial debut of Bill Paxton. Frailty. Hell yeah. I love this movie. This movie I saw on the day that it came out. Nice. Which I remember because... It debuted in theaters on my birthday. Nice, so. nice. There you go. Yeah, um, this movie uh, is actually one that my wife likes too. And for me to say my wife likes a horror movie is unusual. Uh, but she actually really yes. enjoyed this one. We watched it together when we first saw it on on the video. 
So um, whenever that was. And yeah, we were really into this. So yeah, really great film. Both of them. Both of these are. Yeah. Both kind of bummers. Yeah. Uh, this will be another bummer episode. <laughs> Damn it. That's okay. But then after that, we're going to talk about something that's even good stuff. more of a bummer. Oh, yes, we are. <laughs> yeah. So, but that's okay. That's okay. There'll be good conversations. We'll we'll throw in something light pretty soon, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I'm getting tired. <laughs> oh, me too. I've been I've been on the I've been on the horn since eleven o'clock this morning. So, and it's now five. So, I'm uh, sorry. No, it's fine. <laughs> but yeah, um, socials. You can find me um, on Twitter at Michelle in Agen. You can find me at Brian D Kuiper. And the show is at Movie Life Pod. Yes, it is. Follow us there. You know the drill by now. Follow us there, rate, review, all that good stuff, whatever. Yeah. Say nice things about us to your friends Please. and families. And followers, if you would. Yeah. Um, yeah. Tell everybody. Uh, okay. Are we done? Yeah. Set me up. Okay. So what are we going to do next time, Brian? We will see you next time. Okay. Bye. Bye.